What kind of world is it, he asked himself, when an android phones up a bounty hunter and offers him assistance? He rang the police operator back. Don't put any more calls through to me from Seattle. Yes, Mr. Deckard. Has Mr. Kodalyi reached you yet? I'm still waiting. You better hurry because I'm not going to be here long. Again, he hung up. As he resumed reading the poop sheet on Luba Luft, a hovercar taxi spun down to land on the roof a few yards off. From it, a red-faced, cherubic-looking man, evidently in his mid-fifties, wearing a heavy and impressive Russian-style greatcoat, stepped and, smiling, his hand extended, approached Rick's car. Mr. Deckard. The man asked in a Slavic accent. The bounty hunter from the San Francisco Police Department? The empty taxi rose, and the Russian watched it go absently. I'm Zandar Kadali, the man said, and opened the car door to squeeze in beside Rick. As he shook hands with Kadali, Rick noticed that the WPO representative carried an unusual type of laser tube, a subform which he had never seen before. Oh, this? Kadali said. Interesting, isn't it? He tugged it from his belt holster. I got this on Mars. I thought I knew every handgun made. Even those manufactured for the colonies. We made this ourselves, Kadali said, beaming like a Slavic Santa, his ruddy face inscribed with pride. You like it? What is different about it, functionally, is... Here, take it. He passed the gun over to Rick, who inspected it expertly, by way of years of experience. How does it differ functionally? Rick asked. He couldn't tell. Press the trigger. Aiming upward, out the window of the car, Rick squeezed the trigger of the weapon. Nothing happened. No beam emerged. Puzzled, he turned to Kadalyi. The triggering circuit, Kadalyi said cheerfully, isn't attached. It remains with me. You see? He opened his hand, revealing a tiny unit. And I can also direct it within certain limits, irrespective of where it's aimed. You're not Polakov. You're Kadali. Don't you mean that the other way around? You're a bit confused. I mean, you're Polakov, the android. You're not from the Soviet police. Rick, with his toe, pressed the emergency button on the floor of his car. Why, uh, why won't my laser tube fire? Kadalyi Polakov said, switching on and off the miniaturized triggering and aiming device which he held in the palm of his hand. A sine wave that phases out laser emanation and spreads the beam into ordinary light. Well, then I'll have to break your pencil neck. The android dropped the device with a snarl grabbed with both hands for Rick's throat. As the android's hands sank into his throat, Rick fired his regulation-issue old-style pistol from its shoulder holster. The 38 Magnum slug struck the android in the head and its brain box burst. The Nexus 6 unit, which operated it, blew into pieces. A raging, mad wind which carried throughout the car. Bits of it, like the radioactive dust itself, whirled down on Rick. The retired remains of the android rocked back, colliding with the car door bounced off, and struck heavily against him. He found himself struggling to shove the twitching remnants of the android away. Shakily, he at last reached for the car phone, called in to the Hall of Justice. 
Shall I make my report? Tell Harry Bryant I got Polakoff. You got Polakoff? He'll understand that, will he? Yes. Recorded in a second floor guest room filled with tall ales and taller tales. Join a group of grown men intent on discussing the intricacies of fantasy and science fiction. Tim Gilbert Media presents. Hello, all you fans of Android-hosted, 24-hour, malaprop-laden, rapid-fire monologues. This is the Dungeons & Dweebs Podcast, episode 13, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I'm your host, Bob, just like Buster Friendly. This podcast provides life and entertainment to fill the void, along with the illusion of real friendship. We may be all color and sound and no substance, but we can do a rousing version of 99 Luba Left Belongs upon request, Mercer Manhandler the 21st. But I'm not alone. Across the table from me, he may be sporting an Ajax Mountebank lead codpiece, but he's no kipple collecting chicken head. He's Luke. Always with the codpiece. I don't know you guys. <laughs> hey, you know, it's. Well, we uh, we got two trilogies under our belt now. We're heading into just like a, a one-off sort of book here. Yeah, kind of where we're headed in the future. I actually movies. feel like it's kind of a weight off our shoulders. Uh, a little bit. Trilogies little bit. are kind of a big thing to do. You live with them for a really long time. I love the fact that we're staring down about five individual books individual here. Individual books. Yes. Oh, that's nice. But hey, you know what? Let's let's get everybody else around the table introduced here. Uh, to my left, he got his start as one of David S. Pumpkins. Backup dancing skeletons. It's Clob. <laughs> Greetings, my little Andes. Uncle Clob's mood organ appears to be stuck on 481 because I have found myself wondering lately about the manifold of possibilities open to me in my future. Or maybe I'm just using the wrong organ to dial up my mood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's winter. Still. Certain beekeeping saint who's been beaten, beheaded, and thrown into a shallow grave has just been celebrated by corporations convincing the masses to buy cards and chocolates. But enough about my love life. Across the table from me, he makes Rhodes Scholars look like illiterate pleasure replicants. <laughs> he may be our new Professor Xavier, or he could quite possibly be Lex Luthor. By the end of this episode, I may be the Lenny to his George. Tell me about the rabbits. Let's have a big Dungeons and Dweebs welcome. Ted! Woo! Welcome! How are you, my good man? Oh, my good man. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I've listened to Dungeons and Dweebs since its inception. And I hope that my appearance is worthy of your candid banter today. I hope to look at the various aspects of this novel while juxtaposing Dick's futuristic themes with our pragmatic sensibilities. Hopefully we can harken back to the good old days when literature sparked insightful questions about the human condition. Maybe we can analyze Deckard's character arc amidst the kibble-filled data dumps. Perhaps we can analyze the other aspects of his world-building and whether or not they hold up to contemporary societal ideals. Maybe we can call back 
to the Dragonland series and summon a 3.5 spicy potatoes out of 5 for this novel. Since we grade shoddy fantasy on arbitrary scales of food consumption, why shouldn't dick be any different? Or maybe we can have some meaningful discussion about imperfect literature that sparks within us a desire to reflect respond and appreciate what it means to be alive, to feel human, to experience isolation while still being connected, to question human qualities and determine how and why they are developed maybe in some of us, but not in others. <laughs> Gentlemen, Dick floats above us tonight, an arbiter of philosophical cognition. Let's welcome him. I'm ready. I Oh my god, I feel like an illiterate pleasure rod. Ted, we, we lack the audience base and the back catalog of episodes for you to be that meta with us. That but was I, beautiful. Yes, that was a beautiful no introduction to who you're going to be on yeah. this idea. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry about the spice. Uh, so yes, uh, here we are, and we have a new fourth chair uh, yet again. Ted. Well... Yeah, so excited to have you here. Can't wait. Uh, well, I was, and then he just like ripped us apart right there. No, it was more of a tribute. It I was, was get, a tribute. I, yes. I, 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 took, it, I took it a little fanboy. It's download. <laughs> it's download, so just shut up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, we are here to do uh, what is lauded as one of the great pieces of science fiction literature, Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, but I've had a cold and my throat feels a little dry. Well, we could get you something to drink. I'm not sure you're supposed to uh, <clears throat> be consuming alcohol when you're sick, but what the heck. You know I, what they say, you know, it's you feed the flu, you drink a cold. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that, but I'm into it. Let's go. You hey, We don't serve there. Do you have any blue milk? Oh, what am I supposed to find in it? Oh my goodness. It's bigger on the inside. I want to go to Kaki Station. Power converters. Okay, okay, it's not a detonator, it's just a jammy dodger. What would be, boys? Tever talk. <laughs> All right, well, we're cozy up here around the fire. Luke, how has your week been? Kind of crazy. It's been good. Um, I kind of I took my uh, my ritualistic uh, Netflix binging time after finishing up the Red Rising trilogy. Uh, I talked about last time, Altered Carbon. Uh, dove into that. Yeah, how was that? Um, very pretty. Um, it started yeah. off really good. Like the, I, it had a really good like mystery component to it. Like okay, so. It's it's way in the future. I'd say it's really good sci-fi, but just uh, so spoiler spoiler free spoiler free synopsis. Sure. Uh, what do you what would you say? What's basically what's going on here? Uh, humanity has found a way to live forever with these things called stacks that are placed in the back of your neck. Um, bas that basically houses your consciousness. Mm -hmm. When your body dies, you are downloaded into a new sleeve or oh, just wow. a uh, body. Uh, generally, the the bodies are given up. Like if you break the law. Right. You're you are removed from your sleeve and placed into like a virtual reality to serve out your sentence for it, and then your body is given to somebody whose body has died. Um, so I'm guessing at some point too, there's going to be you know illegal sleeves out there. Yes, and, there's know, something, this, something, called, what, what, something called double sleeving, where you copy yourself and there's two <laughs> of you walking around. I double sleeved a little. Uh, of course, you guys went there with that. That never even crossed my mind when I was watching it. 
Um, so are they dealing at all with like, so where are we at in terms of uh, human population? Is there some oh, sort of laws against people having kids or? or? No, no. Um, the, o- the only law is you, like once you're a year old, you get the stack put in your neck. Okay. Um, and you can, there's like uh, religious factions that like, uh, they call it, co- I think they call it coding out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll put a code into your stack that says, you know, hey, if I'm found dead, don't put me in a new sleeve. That, oh. like, you know, hey, like a DNR, kind of, yeah, kind of like that. Um, it was good. I, I really, I thought, because it's like, man, it's like thousands of years in the future. Oh, okay. so it's I mean, so we've colonized other planets and such. Yes. Okay, so we've got um, the room to expand. And that, that's actually that, that's another another one of the reasons that they kind of invented this thing was to instead of space travel, they would just send your consciousness in the stack over to the planet because it's quicker to send data that oh. far. Oh. And you oh. just download a new, into a new sleeve and bam, you're on another planet. You can do what you need to do. Oh, I like that take on oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wasn't a fan of the ending. It kind of... Because there's there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of threads to follow, and I was enjoying that, but then once they started like come together, I'm like, oh, that's kind of dumb. Right. Um, but I, I had fun watching it. I would definitely recommend watching it. Um, we've had uh, some trailers come on. I'm just going to kind of throw this up to you know everybody to mm-hmm. talk about. I guess, have you guys seen the solo trailer? Yes. 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 I, 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 I don't know. You don't know? That's that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Is I, I, I don't know at this point because I again, I want it to be good. Right. I want it to be something worthwhile. However, nitpicky some things in my head are going, what? what? What's going on? That's right. not how it works. Right. What is the solo trailer? Tell me. <laughs> I've not seen it. So... So the solo for Star Wars, uh, oh, Han Solo right. stand, standalone movie, right? You, right. Yes, I'm yeah. aware of this. I uh, have not seen the trailer. So okay. I'll contextualize okay. it. Um, in terms of trailers, it, there, there's two of them. I think as of this recording that have come out, there was the shorter version that was aired during the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, yes. and then they kind of released a little bit of an extended trailer. Uh, basically, it shows Solo. Uh, it looks like looks like in the Academy when he was mm-hmm. part of the Imperial Academy. Oh, yeah. He kind of flakes out of it. Um, and then it becomes a heist movie. It looks yeah. like it becomes a heist movie, and yeah. there's kind of a, a pretty much the story of how he got the Millennium Falcon and right. how he met Chewie and Lando. Looks like Lando Calrissian is in there, and at, at some point, I'm confused as to how uh, I'm. Get, I like Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I kind of dig older Woody Harrelson as yeah. an actor yeah. and a fruitcake, you know, celebrity dude. Yeah, right. but it kind of looks like I'm. I, I watched the extended trailer. And I'm going, why is Hamish here? <laughs> yeah, that, I just, yeah, 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 yeah. I, like, is it the same guy? Please um, don't be the same guy. Yeah. He does very well at playing that part, but I feel like he's boxing himself a little bit, and everybody's grabbing Woody Harrelson to play the drunk mentor. Right. And I haven't looked into it. I don't know the time frame as to when this is supposed to be either. taking place, how many years before uh, A New Hope. Um, but I, I didn't think it looked bad, but at the same time, I didn't think there was anything about it that grabbed me either. So I, I wouldn't say that my hype level is any more than before I saw the trailer. I will say the one thing that grabbed me from the extended trailer, and you never hear, um, it's Danny Glover's kid. What's his name? It's not his kid. Oh, it's not his kid. Uh, Donald Glover. Donald Glover. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no relation. Okay. Really? Yes. Uh, uh, I, okay. I only know, I, I'm a big fan of his stand-up. He's a stand-up okay. comedian. Well, the, okay, the Glover kid. <laughs> yeah. The Glover, you never... Crispin you, Glover's adopted. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you never actually hear him speak in the trailer, but you right. just get a couple shots where 
Okay, you kind of he's kind of got the Billy D. Williams vibe I, going. And I, I actually from that. the trailer love his look. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as what he looks like, uh, yeah, I think he looks like somebody from the seventies. Like I, just that look, the look works for me. Yeah, for and sure. I actually would say who is the main character? I see. I don't know my. Actors I, have, I have no idea. I've never heard. Or whoever heard is or playing seen Han Solo, boy, yeah, we should be googling this. But whoever's playing him, yeah. uh, I mean. Four, four computers are on the table. We're all just like. Nah, I'm what? already throwing aside the like. Okay, hands or uh, Harrison Ford. Nobody can fill his shoes. No. So it's just, will I be able to? You know, who's gonna get angry and point at somebody? That, no. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I can accept. I can accept accept somebody else in the role. I'm not looking for them to resurrect uh, Harrison Ford. And I thought, at least visually, I, I like some of the things I saw in the trailer in terms of what he looked like. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I, I was actually shocked that Disney, though, as a corporation putting out that trailer, how kind of lackluster I thought the trailer seemed. I didn't think the trailer was as big uh, and Actually, it, it got, me, it got me really excited. I, you know, I, I kind of talked about my dwindling... Um, confidence in the Star Wars franchise or even like questioned how much I actually like it last time we were on yeah, the right. here. And I, I think this is more the I feel like this is more of in a these Star Wars stories, the in between movies are more of are more in, in an adult Trajectory, yeah, right. I, I guess uh, I, I, I kind of like that. They're the more, and they're name, more my thing for sure. Yeah. The dude's name is Alden Aaron Eric. Uh, yeah, yeah, Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich. And I, okay. something that I've forgotten, too, is this is actually directed by Ron Howard, of all people. Yeah, well, well he stepped in last minute here. Uh, he's saving, I think, what is a, a movie that was in dire straits. Uh, so, And I don't want to go into all that stuff, but, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I guess, I mean, sure, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I'm tentatively but. interested. Hmm. Yeah, yes. I am too. And if there's a if there's a movie I want to see, it's it's a movie about Solo. Like if you're going to do a standalone movie, he is my favorite character. There's tons of backstory with him where he could just be uh, riding around the universe with Chewie, getting into all kinds of, you know, trouble. I just hope it's not too where like we're running into everybody from the movies. Yeah. Like put them out there and let them do their own thing. I well, one of the big arguments right now in the baby uh, online Leia. too. Yeah, baby <laughs> Leia. Online too has talked about um, the Millennium Falcon looks so much different. Yeah, well, it's not. It's not a ship. I don't know. Oh, if yeah. It's the Falcon. Oh, well, that no. see the and that see that's the thing. Yeah, is I mean that's the big debate going through there because there's no, it's no longer pronged. Is the middle that's in no longer pronged? Is that the uh, the gun the store the storage area that he had to dump when he was dumping uh oh when oh. he was dumping Jabba's stuff yeah yeah the spot the, the castle the 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 castle run yeah yeah when he know. when he got caught by the Imperials and had to dump Jabba's stuff was that in that yeah. is that a but that's been a big argument going through here of stuff that I've been reading. So yeah, I'm tentatively hopeful. Right. You guys are going. Everyone's going to see it anyway. Yeah, yeah. we're all going yeah. to see it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I might go. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll be there within a week. <laughs> we'll be there opening. <laughs> be on time I mean, we know we will be there. Yeah. Opening yeah. 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 There'll be one of those. Another like, we'll, live we'll show. Star Wars yeah. could be anything. I would go see it. I, it could yeah. be the worst reviewed movie of all time. I'd be like, yeah, it's going Saturday. Yeah. That is true. Star, that is Star Wars. Star Wars Episode Twelve. Jar Jar's Revenge. Yes. Yeah, the hooks. <laughs> it, yeah, it wouldn't matter. We go up. Yeah, that's true. I'll, 
Although if they put out another one of those cartoons, I don't know that I'd run to theaters mm, for that. I'd no. wait for. I honestly would wait for the DVD for any of those no, cartoons. The Dragonlance cartoon was good. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so yeah, yeah the solo trailer it. was out. Um, I, did we talk about the Infinity War trailer last time? Yeah, kind of. We we, we touched on it. We, we touched yeah, we touched on, on that. So I'll skip that. Uh, there's a little Venom teaser trailer with. Yeah. Uh, Ed, not Ed Hardy. <laughs> Ed Hardy. What's That's that? an entirely different movie. Yeah. His name yeah. is Tom Hardy. Ed Helms. Yeah, Ed Helms. No. Um, yeah. Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Tom Hardy. Tom um, Hardy. I, I guess I had no idea that this was being made. No. First of all. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. And it's Sony, I think we Yeah, it was Sony. Uh, yeah, was Sony. Sony. Um, Kind of excited for that. I just to see like I'm excited uh, for I like the villain movies. I'm excited for the idea of a Venom movie. I will have to say after literally, I just watched the trailer before we started recording yeah. this. But uh, the word teaser is very apt for this. In all yeah. honesty, I don't think I'd have thrown this trailer out there until I had uh, something to show in terms of Venom because you got to create yeah. hype for this and just showing guys waking up on beds. Uh, it yeah, was not well, sufficient for me to get well, hyped for this movie. And I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Tom Hardy. I love Tom yeah. Hardy as an actor. Um, even when he was doing bad. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I love that. But I, I, I'm a huge fan of Tom Hardy, and so he has on his Twitter and his and his other social media stuff been bouncing out little things where it's just like him standing there wearing a Venom T-shirt and waving at the camera yeah. and, okay. and, and and stuff like that. So he's been teasing it. So he, he's been teasing just that he's in it. So I'm interested to see his take on Eddie Brock. Because Eddie, mm-hmm. Bro- I'm, a, I'm a Spider-Man guy. Eddie right. Brock is a Star Wars canon character. And I... A Topher, Star Wars canon. Uh, sorry, sorry. A Spider-Man. We were just talking <laughs> yeah. about that. I, I sometimes mix up my words. It's okay. Um, is a Spider-Man canon character. Right. And I so ungodly hated Topher Grace as Eddie Brock in the yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that was abysmal. Yes. <laughs> that I'm interested to see a real take on this character. Right. Yeah. You need conflicting. I think you need like you definitely need a story that is a conflicted. They flesh out the whole conflicted bad guy story where yeah. you at least have a you, you can empathize with him <laughs> uh, because much like Daredevil, uh, which I think Netflix did a great job of making him a character that sometimes you loathed based on what he what he did. It's like the Breaking Bad thing. Right. He's oh, good, yeah, yeah. but he's bad. But yeah. Now he's really bad, but oh, we still kind of feel like he's good in there somewhere. Plus, look what happened to him. You know, that's what makes those compelling movies. And there's all these weird arcs throughout um, the old Venom comics that I'm interested to see what they're going to take. I mean, there's a time where Venom is a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? <laughs> and huh. the you know, and the Dark Defenders, and all of this, all, all of this other stuff, where Venom is kind of an anti-hero, but he's still a villain, and he that bouncing back and forth. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it, it is. So Sony definitely still owns Spider-Man. As I was going, that's what's going on. I know they, they like gave Marvel like permission to use Spider-Man as long as it was in a is that in a group movie in a group a team movie a team movie yeah it's the same thing with the Hulk yeah I don't yeah. know I know I don't think it's the same with the Hulk but I think the reason we haven't and will never see a Hulk movie oh. is because because I don't think they know what to do with him uh, in multiple movie arcs yeah. uh, and they just and I think they're doing a, like it's it's kind of been speculated that like, that's what they're going to do you know like in yeah. Thor we saw a little bit the next right. one we'll see a little he bit he works so well right. as, yeah. as a team beyond his origin story. Unless you want to go back to the 70s and do the Lonely Man's theme and he's just going town to town. You know, how do you really continue a, yeah. a, a compelling Hulk, Hulk story? You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? At any rate, I, 
like I usually do, I have hogged tavern time for my tavern time. Who am I? Well, I just, tavern talk for myself all the time on tavern. That's okay. We're all <laughs> we're all we're all misspeaking. We're all a little that's we're all a little tongue tied here right. tonight. It's the flu. I have the flu. Uh, Club. Your nerd news. I've kind of been going on the Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep route here, where oh. I you know we've we read the we read the our little novella here. Uh, you know I've rewatched Blade Runner a couple times. I did actually last night watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Mm-hmm. Did you have sex with an android? Um, no, but I'm getting to that actually. <laughs> I also went back and intentionally rewatched a couple of Star Trek: The Next Generation episodes, The Naked Now, which is the which is the one where Data has sex with <laughs> yes. Tasha Yar. Oh, and, I love that episode. And The Measure of a Man, which is the whole tr- which, which is the two part trial episode that talks about you know our android our androids actually personalities. Right. And so that's really where I've gone is going Why back and you go a deep? lot of the different android. Um, <laughs> You know things within sci-fi and within sci-fi culture that talk about you know who has a soul, who has personality, who's real life. Any Battlestar Galactica in there? Uh, I've, you know what? I watched original Battlestar Galactica hmm. eons ago. I never really watched the reboot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I've never seen the new stuff. I've Actually, I'm on my, I'm on like second time through. Really? It's. I mean. The writer strike happened partway through, and he like you can tell. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's a good time. I'd, I'd recommend yeah. it. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I don't. One of those it's one, you know, it's one that I've it. definitely wanted to. I just have never. Had, I just haven't had the opportunity. Nice, Ted. How, what if what new if guy. you went up to that you want to talk to us about new uh, guy? Uh, a new kid. Mine is related. Uh, I guess we. It's related to technology here. I, I read news like you know in the morning, like an old guy. Like, right. <laughs> we'll just look at CNN for forty-five minutes, Fox for two to get mad, and then. <laughs> but uh, kind of off the the technology thing, and as Luke was saying, virtual reality in his little uh, talk, mm-hmm. they've now developed virtual reality for helping soldiers with PTSD Ooh. relive the experiences that they had and sensitivity um like therapy so they think that the treatment is effective because it allows them to relive um their experiences over and over or at least you know patterns and behavior to deal with them rather oh. than just taking prescriptions yeah overexpose yourself to try and make it feel less traumatic right i think it, yeah right can we, can we get that for our jobs I know, right? Yeah. Just 50 kids in a room. <laughs> VR all summer. But I'm fascinated by virtual reality. One time you could just flip out into virtual That's reality. That's true. You could, yes. Throw things load, at people. Uh, aggression on VR kids. But uh, I'm fascinated by virtual reality, and I'm kind of like, I guess, naively thinking that it should be further than it is. Like yeah. I, was talking, I was talking to Luke before about the PS4 VR games, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, we've come so far with console games. Why is VR like... It, it never... Everything that's come out has been like choppy right. or pixelated or weird and, you know... Actually, like, it, 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 continue, oh, we, had, we had talked about... We were talking about Skyrim. Right. Um, and I guess... I don't know if they did... Bethesda did the same thing with Skyrim that they had with... Fallout 4's release was abysmal. Right. Full of bugs, like the... Uh-huh. Like the backgrounds would like flicker while you were in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they fixed Fallout, and mm-hmm. now it, there it's just being touted as like one of the best VR experiences you right. can have. Right, like you actually get pulled into the wasteland. Yeah, because I think that I mean we've been talking about it for over a mm-hmm. decade easily. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be, but I guess I have no knowledge of it. So it must be uh, way I don't more either. difficult than we Has think. anybody around the table been in a good unit that works? I, I, I haven't been in any um, new VR headsets, and it really. 
I've tested a lot of units. But <laughs> <laughs> well, but the, the whole the whole possibility of VR is something that has been around mm. forever. I mean, yeah, look, right. look at look at the mood organs and look at the yeah. different things that go on within the book that we're going to be talking about. Right, the hollow deck on Star Trek. The hollow yeah. deck on, on Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. One of the things that I sometimes wonder is if there's a slow uptake to it. it. You know, it would be much faster if there was a market for it. And as of right now, it seems like kind True. of kid, young, adult yeah, is yeah. the market. One thing that as an older adult that I always worry about with VR for myself is that I would love the experience of it. It was freak out. But at the same time, like I think about myself being at home. With like earphones on and a something over my oh face, my immersed in a world, and some guy breaking in the front door and taking everything <laughs> oh. while I'm in the middle of walking through whatever virtual reality oh world. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you check out from reality during that time. There is a you leave yourself I, open in a way. You I, know, I don't, for I don't, me, I don't know if I feel that good. Right. Yet. Mm. No, I don't think it is that good yet either. I think you could but, probably get headphones to like actually cut you off from like because I've used like some true noise canceling headphones. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and like it, where we work and you guys know there's a rushing air sound everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Put them on and it has like a, it's uh, active uh, noise canceling. It just all of a sudden like whoop, like really? the, it was the weirdest. Like oh my god, it is so quiet in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you could get there. It's the um. The graphics, it's not right, yeah, it's, yeah. there yet. And I think that comes down to, okay, oh, this is going to get boring for a second. Um, it comes down to the uh, graphical processing units within the, because it's always like a phone or something mm -hmm. clipped into a headset. Yeah. And I think what you need is just a display up there, um, and then the computations being done away from you. Yeah, but the, pro through the, headphones. Yeah, the, yeah. the problem with right. that, though, is you know how are you going to get that from... Uh, from your headset over to there, and then there's the battery problem. I, I do, I don't know a lot about what is going on, but I understand, you know, where the limitations are. Like, we're in this weird middle ground of, like, being really technologically advanced and yeah, being, like, right. hindered by batteries right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I, right. yeah. well, it's and, a weird time to be alive. And, Bob, <laughs> you and I are of a certain age, and, Ted, you're, you're up here as well. Um, we're not quite I, I'm, I'm here as a stratosphere? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> where, do you where remember the, here? you know, do you remember the power glove? Yes, the Nintendo, yes power Nintendo, Nintendo Power Glove. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. And how power glitchy glove. that thing oh, was. Oh, God. I, yeah, but all, I mean, that all was, of them, even that yeah. running pad. I mean, yeah. I, I had a friend that had all of those things, and yeah, they were cool. But boy, would you struggle! The running pad, was we it, didn't was, care. Was there we a struggle? Yeah, we struggled through it. Was, but, what was the running pad for? Was that uh, a, there was game. There was one. I, I remember when we were jumping over hurdles. Uh, it was, yeah, it was like the track and field, or track and field, or the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, they do keep trying. Because oh yeah, the Wii had that weird like board that you would stand on. Dance, dance, revolution, baby. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they they keep trying. Xbox had their connect. Yep, worked pretty good, but it was really gimmicky. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we keep yeah, but I I like how we keep we keep we do keep moving forward, and eventually we are going to be Ready Player One, getting ready to go into the Oasis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. In which case, it's been nice knowing you guys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just we'll, thought it was poignant because we'll look each other up on the inside. It at least uh, for a non-selfish reason is interesting. You know, if right. it's going to get better, maybe even using it in the medical sector will speed up some mm -hmm. of the advancements. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Plus, it's helping sure. people with PTSD, man. So that's yeah, cool. that is very cool. 
Um, I don't have too much either. I, I just finished, I kind of went on a binge read of two of Jay Kristoff's books. I brought one up last time. Uh, Nevernight, I finished up book two of that trilogy. Uh, he had better get his butt down to writing book three because <laughs> book two leaves off on quite the cliffhanger. Uh, Jay Kristoff is a young adult author who is, uh, who's written other things like uh, Storm Dancer. It's this Lotus War trilogy that he did, which I guess got him some kind of acclaim. And he's got, he's got other things out this is definitely not a a young adult book um you know very violent very sex filled but um very very good i mean i like the protagonist is a a kind of this young uh girl whose family is killed uh she becomes an assassin joins kind of this red church becomes an assassin for them and then by book two she's kind of joining kind of glad gladiators kind of like red rising this play on rome it feels like everything i've been reading lately has this weird play on dystopian Rome. And I don't know if, <laughs> if that's some sort of, it's now in the cultural zeitgeist because do authors feel America is a dystopian Rome? I left zeitgeist out of my opener. Oh, <laughs> you should have. Let me go back. <laughs> uh, zeitgeist. I, um, Sorry. How do you feel about, here's what comes to mind immediately to me, how do you feel about the female protagonist? <laughs> yeah, I, I I think she's uh, she's good in this I only ask because I think we're we're almost uh, conditioned to think all protagonists of these type of novels are like men, or like true. young young boys who mm-hmm. become warriors. So right. I think that's why I was always so drawn to Arya Stark in Game of Thrones because right. you know something different. She was you a know, girl. It, well, yeah, right? and that's something that we talked about last uh, episode when we were talking about the age of protagonists mm-hmm. and right. talk and within the conversations we were having online and everything right. as well. Uh, I think age and you know gender go go in there as well. Where I can get into a I can get into a female protagonist. Oh, yeah. I can get into a younger protagonist as long as it's written well. Exactly, and I that's what I will credit Jay Kristoff with doing is that although the character starts out in the first book at sixteen and she's eighteen in the second book, the way he manages her character is very believable. You know, it, it's a character you can get behind, and even though she's doing in some cases semi-extraordinary things and who she's killing. She's an assassin. She's doing it quietly. She's doing right. it stealthily. You know, she's not necessarily overpowering people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it's in keeping with her age and build. You know, she's described as being small. You know, she's not large. You know, yeah. so, so I again, that realm of believability uh, that she has. Plus she, okay, now then I have to say she's got two shadow creatures with her that suck her her fear away. <laughs> it sounds weird, but that also helps yeah, the yeah. believability. On, on the it outside, sounds, on the outside, that it sounds, sounds really, really stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it sounds really dumb. But uh, I would highly recommend to our adult uh, uh, listeners uh, the, both Nevernight and God's Grave. Uh, they're I'd they're be, pretty good. I'd be interested to see where kind of publication dates fell, which you mentioned, uh, Arya Stark. In the Game of Thrones books, and I'd yeah. be interested. She to see sounds like an area where Stark. where where those kind of publication dates fall, yeah. and if there's any right. like uh, you know basis for hey, it's cool to write somebody like this if you write it like this, right? And I will say, God's Grave is not any kind of groundbreaking novel. I mean, he does the whole uh, we're gladiators thing, and I was telling you, Luke, when I yeah. was done kind of reading it, I'm like. Well, I don't know what to say. It's Gladiators. If you watch the movie Gladiator, if you've, you know, if you watch Spartacus, there's, there's are really you not entertained? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's all of that same yeah. stuff thrown together there's, in the there's mix. There's really only one, like, cookie-cutter way to do a 
gladiator yeah, story, yeah. and it's been done. He does some great uh, twists, though. I remember I came to you, Luke, and said, uh, this this character, I think he just twisted this character mm-hmm. so that we all hate her. Like, yeah. he has just created a character that we have to now suffer through a third book where we will hate her. Like, there's nothing redeeming about her. And it turned out not to really be the case by the end. But... Uh, he does some really nice twists throughout cool. it. Um, you know, it's it's a passable book. I would recommend it if you have the stomach. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessary for violent, but there's some pretty explicit sex in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Very adult themes. It's very adult themed, yeah. If you're a Game of Thrones or you, it's nothing you yeah. haven't seen there. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So... Um, the other thing I've been doing, uh, I'm going to throw out a recommend to a podcast that I have long listened to called Now Playing. Uh, it's yeah, a actually, movie review you got podcast. me into Now Playing. Yeah, I love Now Playing. They've been around for a long time, and actually, I listen to all the podcasts that they do. Um, but uh, they've been doing a retrospective on video game movies, and <laughs> so I have been watching just crap. I mean, <laughs> uh, Double Dragon. Uh, I watched Double Dragon. Uh, oh, come on, that car in Double Dragon is worth <laughs> or watching. They're feeding it. garbage into it. It's <laughs> just the worst. And uh, Street Fighter, uh, with, both with Van Damme and The Legend of Chun Li. Oh, oh my God, they, they are some horrible movies. But it's a lot of fun to watch the movie and then. Hopefully, like this podcast, read the book, listen to people talk about them. It's fun to watch crap movies and listen to well, people. Well, and that was a conversation that you and I started having about those movies because we remember those movies oh, yeah, from, from when, when we were kids, kids. Yeah. and just loving them. And I've, you know, read about, I, I'm nerdy enough where I've read about them. And Van Damme took Street Fighter over Mortal Kombat. Oh, what a bad choice. <laughs> oh, what an awful I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Mortal Kombat has any sort of like cinema perfection. Right. But he took but yeah, that and is who's actually the, who the is story. the guy that plays uh in Adam's family is is the Raul dad. Julia. Raul Julia. He yeah, the general? No. The, yeah. He's, yeah. He's the general he's in Street general Fighter. Bison. Yeah. General Bison. His la- I mean, this guy has won awards. This is his last performance. He died of cancer. <laughs> after oh, this. No. After this movie. In fact, well, there's a critically fight. acclaimed. He's a critically he was a critically acclaimed stage actor. <laughs> um, he kind of did the Adams Family thing on a lark, but it turned out well. Right. And he's he he's, was in all these. You know, very, he was Arthur Ashe in the Arthur right. Ashe story. Yeah. And uh, did the, all this stuff, and then his last movie is <laughs> his stream- Bison. In fact, they even filmed the final scene where, after the credits, his hand emerges from the rubble, and oh they God. they cut it oh because of that. Because <laughs> there was plan, there was plans of more movies. If there's anything positive about it, though, I guess he did say his son was a big Street Fighter fan, and they would play it always on the weekend, and it was his son who was just tickled pink that his Aww. dad was 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 in the movie and stuff. So, I, I, if there's a redeeming. I thing, BS. Movie. Yeah, I mean, who knows? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so let's call BS on the guy who's dead from cancer. Yeah, yeah. 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 What's yeah. he going to do? What's he going to do? Prove me wrong? And huh? then, yeah. Come on, and, and, oh, and Mario Brothers, because God. Oh, that, God. Oh. Okay, Why? so what is Why? a video game Why? movie that was ever good? There hasn't been one yet. Assassin's yeah. Creed looked awesome. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd rather. What is it about well, actually, video games not being able to cross the threshold? Do you want to know what is the biggest load that I have ever it's it's real but I hate that it's real yeah the best video game movie ever made is Angry Birds really yes I have watched it oh god I just threw up a little bit yeah right it's I was I was actually I was just um (laughs) the biggest load load I have ever heard that's yeah (laughs) load OBS yeah um yeah it's uh video game 
Um, turning a movie into a video game has always been very difficult, and turning video games into movies has always been very difficult. It's just a thing that has yeah. always existed. It's an enigma. Yeah. Ooh, well, we'll not solve. Well, because I think a movie needs to be wrapped up within at least two hours or two hours and 40 minutes, depending on what kind of Why movie. <laughs> and you have to follow a character arc, whereas video games, one thing that's wonderful about, especially modern video games, is it can put you in the place... You are in the place of the main character usually, and you're going through forty hours plus of story. But it doesn't have yeah, to be linear. Um, unless be you're playing Call of Duty. Unless you're right. playing, well, right. It'll yeah. wrap up in forty-five minutes. Which, which those movies? Well, hope, there you hope go. You, you like could, online multiplayer? Why haven't they made that into a, a, a movie? Because yeah. all they have to do Call is take of Duty the War. Movie. All they have oh to do God. is take any kind yeah, of great. World War II scenario, <laughs> yeah, Vietnam I was say, scenario. I was going to say they made the Call of Duty movie. It was called Saving Private Ryan. I was, was going to say <laughs> right. there is your best video game movie ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Saving Private well, Ryan. Well, at least the Resident Evil movies admit that they're bad. And I will say they're a guilty oh, yeah. pleasure. I do enjoy watching the Resident Evil movies, knowing that they are not great. But they're just fun to sit back and. Okay, we, all right, this has been. <laughs> it's actually been a lot of fun. I feel like we could continue on. Oh, definitely. Like this for a while, but my uh, my Me aluminum too. can is a little empty here. <laughs> no ice here. Why don't we uh, Why don't we refill? Uh, how about uh, Ted, new guy? Why don't you buy yeah, us around? I gotta go to the bathroom though, but I'll pick it up when I get back, so you guys can. Head oh, on. I've heard that before. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Yeah. All right, hey, well, all right, hey, let's get a refill and let's dive into some PKD. Hey, hey, Derek, come over here. We need a refill. Get it's on him. It is on him. You know Tashi Station. I'm a leaf on the wind. The freaking fight for me. I'm a leaf on the wind. Waking around for that Skywalker kid to come pick up the Palpatine boy. He got downloads into the system. I pull up a chair, friend. Okay, so we're here. We're ready to dive in to do to do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Oh yeah, a uh, a little a little one-off book for us after coming through two heavy trilogies. Um, Bob, do you have a plot synopsis for us? Actually, this time I don't. I figured um, uh, by way of breaking him in, our resident Rhodes Scholar can lead us through. So I've passed uh, this on to Ted. Ted, could you elucidate us with some timely prose? First of all, I was broken in a long time ago. Secondly, uh, our, our meeting here tonight for this podcast brings us to... To Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, published in 1968, um, Dick here drags readers into post-nuclear Earth, which is inhabited by small pockets of humans who have congregated in only a few major cities. Living things are an exception on this dismal version of our planet. Uh, most animals are now mechanical, and real living things fetch an insane price out on the market. Additionally, humans have now colonized Mars following this apocalyptic war, and companies have begun making androids to serve as, well, slaves to those who choose to leave Earth for their new home on the Red Planet. However, some of those Andes escape from time to time, and a recent group here has arrived on Earth after killing uh, their masters, and this is kind of how we begin our story. Uh, our protagonist is soon introduced... Um, Actually, before the uh, the context, Rick, Rick Deckard, who's living in San Francisco as a bounty hunter, 
uh, when a senior hunter is injured by some of those androids that just re uh, actually got to Earth, it is up to Deckard to track them down and put them out of commission. The androids are not just any androids, however. They are the newest Nexus 6 models, capable of seamlessly integrating themselves into human society and remaining indetectable to virtually any test uh, they currently have. Why are they on the run, you ask? Well, those androids, uh, they were slaves, so they bolted. Meanwhile, we are then introduced to another plotline, which is John Isidore, a chicken head who lives in an abandoned apartment complex. Uh, he is on Earth. He is the only man left in his building, and he is very lonely. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, John collects uh, what we come to find out is a bunch of junk, even though we have a different name for it in our book here. Mm -hmm. And we then see uh, kind of this relationship he develops with one of these androids who's on the run. Following this relationship they have together, it's kind of a game of cat and mouse as Deckard questions humanity, kills androids, collects a bounty, uh, multiple bounties, all while figuring out the nature of human existence and the root of empathy. Our climax brings us uh, to a meeting between Deckard, Isidore, and his android friends. Who wins the day, Bob? The human or the android? Mm, that is the question Ooh. that we'll be wrestling with yes. here on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. So, do androids dream of electric sheep? You know, I won't lie. I did not know. I grew up with Blade Runner, and I did not know until I will say about a decade ago that there was a book behind it called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I knew nothing of Philip K. Dick. I had seen... A lot of his novels have been... Or short stories, I should say, have been turned into movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you, you have Blade Runner... Uh, you have a scanner darkly. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. That weird. I love a scanner. Yeah, darkly. With, where it's it's kind of like a, a cartoon uh, mm -hmm. overlaid over. I don't know what what rotoscope. Would it be like a rotoscope cartoon or something like that? Um, it's uh, all, it, it almost kind of feels like you know early motion capture. Yeah, early motion capture. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's almost like uh, Fire and Ice. If anybody has seen the move, the uh, cartoon Fire and I Ice, that's what they did. Is they rotoscoped actual like actors, and then they like overlay cartoon over them that they're traced, yeah. and that's kind of seems to be what they did with that one. Um, and, and, and a scanner, uh, adjustment bureau, and Minority Report. Yeah, minority right. Yeah, yeah, a lot of movies. A lot yeah. of movies. Actually, uh, jumping off of that, I think that's a very good place to start. Um, like where. I guess, what did you what did you guys know about this book before you went into it? Uh, me personally, I've never seen Blade Runner. Okay, I've never seen the new Blade Runner. I've never right. read this book. Okay, and now I'm jumping into this. Um, yeah, actually, this is a really good place to start because yeah, I feel it'll this, set up what you take from this book yeah, in a lot of ways. This is my um, my point of view coming into this, right? Because I I grew up, I watched Blade Runner, and I'll I'll speak to that more when we we do our review of the movie in the next episode. Okay, so something even to say right out of the gate here too is that if you are a fan of Blade Runner the movie, and if you've uh, you know do dove into that theology and that um, universe, even Ridley Scott and the screenwriter for Blade Runner admit that. They never read the book before they did the movie. Oh, really? I didn't know so that. So there are a lot of there are a ton of things where they grab the main characters, they grab some of the main themes and some of the things that they understand. But Blade Runner the movie is not 
do androids dream of electric sheep? No, it, true. It, yeah, it, true. It's not. But I would I would say that they go hand in hand, and I would not. I mean, the movie has set up its own universe, and I would say the movie completely, at least for me, informed my reading of this book. Like I feel if you saw the movie first. It will actually heighten your reading of the book because I think uh, Philip K. Dick's prose are extremely thin sometimes in how he describes the universe. And so for me, I've drugged the universe from Blade Runner into this book in terms of what things look like and sound like and feel like. And so even though, uh, yeah, there is a difference between what was done in the movie to the book, I, I feel like uh, my my reading of the book was enhanced, maybe, for me, from having seen the movie. Well, and Philip K. Dick was famous during his lifetime of not really liking uh, film adaptations of his work. Okay. Uh, Blade Runner is one of the few, and he only and it's it's documented that he only saw the first twenty minutes of it before yeah. he died. Oh, I mean, he was, are you kidding? He me? He, it I made mean, him die. No, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't mean he died in like the screening room or anything no, like okay. that. But he he, he only saw the first twenty minutes of it before he died, and he came out on record as being okay with the first twenty minutes. Right. And he 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 actually really liked Ridley Scott's vision, yeah. and he which really, he sh- which he should. And I, he and he's quoted as saying that. Um, with the movie version, uh, he's quoted as saying that Harrison Ford is who De- I mean, is Deckard in his mind. Seeing Harrison yeah. Ford in costume, he actually he's quoted as right. saying, "That's Deckard. Yeah. Deckard lives." Yeah. I will. I will actually say that he he said that, but I believe that uh, Harrison Ford is one of those things that made Deckard better than what is on the page. Okay. Yeah, like, I like, 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 I, I think, I think, yeah. Again, if you've watched the movie and come in seeing Harrison Ford in this role and how he said the lines from the movie is going to enhance your reading of this book. So I also think, like, uh, Luke, you're saying first introduction to, to Philip K. Dick, the genre itself, like post Korean War, post World War II, uh, questioning humanity, right? These right. authors heavily influenced by like real world events. So I often feel like. Um, we get a struggle even from from Dick here on whether or not the focus is his theme or the actual plot. Because if you read mm-hmm. it for the plot, it is thin. You have like a lot of dialogue. I definitely took that yeah, away from the book. Right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it moves and it moves, and you feel like, oh, okay, kind of, we're moving along here. I want right. to see what happens. But then you have kind of a lot of anticlimactical events where you're just like, oh, okay, well, I guess... I, I, I have it referred to as chaff right. in my notes. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> wow. So, but, but I think one of those recurring themes in sci-fi isn't just technology, world, uh, new world, cool stuff. It's always kind of looking at what it's still like to be human on this mm-hmm. planet, what right. might that look like in the future. So I feel like if you're reading it for that entertainment factor, you're right. probably going, what is going on? Right. It well, sh- it like, should are be- you serious right now? And, but, I, and I think, you know. and one of the other things, too, going right along with what you were saying with the history portion is uh, Dick came up with th- this story while he was researching his Man in the High Castle, which uh, yeah. is, what if the Nazis won World War II? I had no, I had no came, idea that was him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That okay. is, that is okay. And so he came up, he came up with, this, with this story after researching some of the things that were going on in the camps and how other human, and how human beings were treating other human right. beings. Mm-hmm. And that's where he took a lot of these themes from, from World War II. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, really, I, and I guess I, I should say, I have, I have discussed with at least Bob and Ted, mm-hmm. Where my opinion of this book is, and, and, yeah, um, yeah, and I, I, feel, 
I, I was I was looking I, especially you know coming off of Re- the Red Rising trilogy you know right. that was just a a a, a roller coaster it, it, is, it was it yeah. was man it was the plot was awesome it was nonstop action then going into something that you know from the sixties that's more just kind of about ideas right right. Man, did I struggle. Very Facebook. contemplative. Oh, yes. Um, it, read five pages, think for four It hours. is. I, I mean, <laughs> uh, read a chapter. Which, uh, a nap, which yeah. uh, you know, doing, doing a monthly podcast where you read a book and then record and then edit and then read a book and then record and then edit. Yeah. I don't have time yeah. for that. Yeah, I'm right to contemplate. <laughs> so um, maybe, maybe it is me not having seen Blade Runner. Maybe it is me being on a time constraint. Mm-hmm. I am gonna hold on to this book, but yeah. let's we can sort of we'll, why, we'll, why we'll dish we, it out as we go. Why don't we get into it? What, what, I, what, I, will, I will discuss my what, and what you're saying here, Luke. Too right from the get go here, right from the very beginning, it gets very very wordy into Dick building the universe here. Yeah, and so we have this whole setup with Deckard and his oh, wife. Oh, before we get to that Luke. setup, we've got to first though talk about this opening epigraph. Because there's the opening yes, epigraph yes, the of turtle. this book. Clob, you brought that up. I did. Yeah, 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 about this turtle, right? And there's this whole this whole opening. It even threw me when I first picked up this book, and and, and there's this there's this intro thing about about a, a turtle, right? And uh, the explorer Captain Cook. Yes. Right? So basically a turtle uh, which Captain Cook gave to the King of Tonga in 1777 died yesterday is what it says at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. At nearly 200 years old, the animal called Tuyamalilia died yeah. at the royal palace ground on the Tongan capital of Nuku'alofa, right? And it, and it goes through this this entire thing about this turtle. And it took me a while. I'm, I'm like looking at this. It wasn't until after I finished the book that I even really kind of put into perspective as to what, what was this even about? Like, why was this even here, right? Mm-hmm. And is it, this is here, right, to set up kind of perseverance in the face of entropy in some ways, right? right? This yeah. idea of this turtle who's living for 200 years. Um, and even though everything else is kind of falling to hell, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of persevering through it. Right? There's an idea of empathy. Again, yeah. I mean, it should be stated off the bat, we are going to be saying the word empathy a ton in this podcast because that is that is the theme of this book. Right. Amongst and, others, I think there's others. And, and just, because, just because of who I am and just because of what I do for a living, and Ted, you could probably speak to this too, this uh, automatically jumped me to, okay, this is Grapes of Wrath, this is in the turtle chapter. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the it's the it's the whole idea here of grabbing this one animal that's died and like you said the perseverance of the animal and how is that going to relate to the characters going through and right. what are we what are we using the symbolism here for right and I will say like pointing to your fact Luke uh, this is not an entertaining way to start off a book by any stretch it's of the imagination. It's confusing. It's extremely confusing. Right. Um, but there, some of the 60s uh, sci-fi, uh, I'm, I'm kind of primed for that to be the case, where it's going to send, set you up with this kind of very quizzical, not related, but it ties into the theme kind of piece of narrative, and then all of a sudden you're thrown in the book, and well, it's to def- be deciphered later. So think about this, then. I mean, it mirrors really the relationship people have with animals in the book, which is right. one of the kind of the, the 
the untold measures of empathy as a human is the ability to feel for animals, not just right. other human beings, but animals. Since we so often as like an intelligent species think that we're so far above animals, right. well, why should we even care about them? I guess we eat them all the time. So maybe not Luke, but you know, <laughs> do you eat animals, Luke? Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, I, uh, um, I had four squirrels yesterday. <laughs> so the, the, I think what it really does is tie into that reverence that people can still have for life itself. Right. It doesn't have to be other human life necessarily. But, I mean, 200 years old, they honor it, obviously. You know, you read it and you're just like, oh, great, people love the turtle. Right. Okay, now give us 186 pages of your theme about empathy, then we'll understand it. So, right, yeah. right. But now, as you were saying, Club, we are thrown right in with our main protagonist, Rick Deckard. And so what do we, let's just talk about Rick Deckard for a while. What, what do we think of him as a main character? I love where this starts because, again, I cannot extricate from my mind the fact that this is... This is Harrison Ford. I mean, I immediately see I, I would Harrison I would Ford like in his Rick house. Deckard a, hell, a heck of a lot more if he would stop talking about animals. See, I actually... Can, can we just, like, can we just move the plot along and quit obsessing but about that, an ostrich? Because it's a central theme of the plot. We can't move beyond this animal is thing it, because though? this is a central part of the spot. Okay. You would have shot Curly's dog. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take him all back. Yeah, we'll take care of him. Oh, he smells okay, well, real bad. Yeah. Well, there, there is a difference between wanting to read about animals and being able to kill an animal. <laughs> Those are two totally different sure things. making a lot of noise. Well, I won't lie. It, it throws me for a loop because, like, uh, it was brought up and we never kind of answered it. What was our expectations of this book going into it? I mean, I, my expe- I, I had no idea. My expectations were more towards Blade Runner, and we are thrown into which Blade Runner has nothing to do with the... Now that now having read the book and seeing some of the animal things in Blade Runner, I'm like, okay, this is why there's an owl here, and, yeah. you know, and things like that. But um, so it's actually helped me with the movie. But we go in here, we're dropped into this kind of dysfunctional married life of of Deckard with his wife Iran. I'll turn my dial up. Yeah, yeah. which I, I I love this feel that they, this thing that they have this Penfield uh, brain stimulant that they use to alter their mood and it and just actually yeah, jumping into chapter one I am like I'm so on board we got this dysfunctional it's marriage such a dystopia and everybody is right. like I wouldn't addicted to their like uh, yeah. their mood altering their mood altering mood altering radios or whatever they call mood them yeah. which or mood looking organs. at this looking at this written in. The '60s here, yeah, and oh the, yeah, the I mean the expanse of mood altering drugs and how can we use this oh, to yeah. you know play with our psychology as human beings? We're still in this, yeah, seventy years later, right? No, I mean once you dial it to thirty-six, it'll make you want it. Yeah, yeah, uppers um, and whoa. downers. I think I'm gonna feel. Yeah. You know, I really, Four I really think I should feel depressed today. <laughs> Yeah, right. I really think today's my day to feel depressed, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take the downers until I feel really depressed. But I have it I have it on a time system so that the uppers will come in before I commit suicide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I I mean it. It's really great, uh, and I feel we're gonna re- I'm gonna return to this. What I you know I think is going on here with Iran. Well, actually, we'll just run with it. I mean, already. They have nukes. Yeah. Dick is setting up humans as being like. Androids or robots, where where you give them an input and they'll respond in a certain way. Or he's already told you they're robots. There yeah. you go. There's your two. Yeah. Yeah. They but are. You just dismiss it because you're like, eh, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. You you come in here and what you're pr- essentially, I think he's saying right from the top is humanity, at least the ones left on Earth, 
are are taking all of these drugs and yeah, they they just like robots are just programming them. Well, and he's got his, you know, super Fitbit on here, which wakes him up in the morning because <laughs> he's got it set to the correct setting that is that gives him the I'm ready to take on the day and be functional. Yeah. Right. Where can I get that drug for the morning? <laughs> exactly. But I like I love the farcical nature of this that then all of a sudden we I'm I'm here ready for Blade Runner and we've got a guy sitting around drinking the morning coffee, his wife is just doping up and he's going, Boy, I wish I had a sheep I could put on my roof. Yeah. I'm like, what kind of book am I reading right now? And I will say, I mean, I end up really loving this, but yeah, I mean, so he's just wishing they could save enough money so they could afford a sheep. Yeah, that's right. So and there's the, this snaky line from Iran here, too, about, well, do you want to fight this morning? Because I'll dial it up to 11 and fight with you. <laughs> Like, jeez, Joe God. Just as he's thinking it, too. Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, maybe I should change what I've dialed in so I can fight with her and win. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you're going to do that, I'm going to do that. Yep. Yep. Right. Um, so he goes up to the roof of his apartment building, and it's just kind of funny because his neighbor, Barbar, is there tending to his horse, which is real, right? But Barbar yes, right. has this real horse, um, and he wishes he could afford a horse. Barbar? Is it Barber? I, I, Barbour, I, it's B-A-R-B-O-U-R. Oh, that comes, that comes from you having little kids and reading too many books about the elephant. Yeah, it's true, it's true. Um, uh, he had a real sheep, we're told, but it died of tetanus, um, right? But I like this. And it died of tetanus because he screwed up and left a wire in the bale of hay when he was feeding it. Right, and I mean, again, we're going back to Philip K. Dick have, having grown up through the 40s and into the 50s where this kind of the white picket fence and keeping up with the neighbors kind of thing. He's taking that and putting it to a, just a farcical level. Oh, yes, right? definitely. Where it's like you're going up to your roof where your car is parked. It's like walking out of your 1950s bungalow and there the neighbor has a car he's washing and you're like, oh, I wish I could have a car like my neighbor. Instead, they're going to the the, the roof where their hover cars are right. and, and they're look, he's looking at his neighbor who's polishing down his real horse and he's boy I wish I had a real horse well and, and, <laughs> and this whole thing about faking it too yeah about they have the, the he's got a fake sheep up there yeah that looks real and it, you don't tell anybody that you have the fake sheep because that's you know mm. that's you you should have a real animal. Status, baby, status. I, I took it yeah. less of status. I took it more like, you know, because the world world has ended. Yes. World War Terminus, everything's just nuclear ash, except for a couple of places. Right. Um, and it's like humanity's, like, responsibility to carry on the animals that they have destroyed. Right. Hmm. So, you know, oh, I've got this horse, and I'm keeping this horse alive. Oh, well, I've got this sheep, and I'm keeping this sheep alive. No, I'm not. It's a it's a robot because I screwed up and I killed one of the last sheep on earth. Right, and everybody's <laughs> carrying everybody's carrying around the essentially the Kelly Blue Book of animals. Right? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> and, and, actually, yeah. at the, at, going off of that, Luke, I feel though at the same time. That's not where humanity's at. Like, they want that to be where they're at. Like, that's how they should be. They've destroyed all life on Earth. Yeah. They should be like... You and that's what, Mercer, that's what Mercerism is going to try to do, is to create this empathy for life that has been we'll destroyed. Get, we'll get to Mercerism. We're getting to Mercerism. But, at, but that's not what's going on. Uh, again, it's like nobody has learned the lesson of what humanity has done. And still, this is just being turned into objects. Yeah, it's very true. I would agree. I would think that... Uh, hit all his thoughts too throughout this um, about 
buying the ostrich, buying any animal whatsoever. No feelings about the animal. No, just not, wanting to obtain it and how much it might just cost. to have it right. and how and much upgrade it, and, to the and, next thing. And how much is it going to make me look like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Right, right, right. Which is the whole other conspiracy theory with the novel and the movie. Yeah, well, I, I, well, yes. I, I do know that theory <laughs> yes. from the movie, um, just from watching stuff. And we'll get stuff let's, on YouTube. Let's, let's we'll talk get. about that at the end in some ways. Yep. Yeah, or maybe um, I want to bring up the cod piece. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. And I use that in the intro because boy, did that just stand out as being bizarre. I took it out when I came in, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, don't don't drop cod piece and then leave it. Like even in the, we never come no, back to this. Even, I know what even it is. In, even, yeah. no, but every, even in the sixties, like Shakespeare liked to do it. I mean that that's fine. God, Shakespeare's God, time. No, it's good. Right. right. Not, not like, but everybody wears these Montebank lead cod pieces. <laughs> I love that. Which is which is you wear basically you're wearing the you know apron from when you go to the dentist around yeah. your jaw. Basically, it's to protect radiation. you from radiation. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is oh, hilarious. So reproduce. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because Montebank is oh, a I play on Montebank, which actually means a person who sells quack medicine. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, I didn't catch that. Nice. And That's so it's cool. like, is this a real thing or is this just one of those things like, you know, like they told us when we were in elementary school that you'll be fine during the nuclear <gasps> actually, holocaust if you climb a under actually your Actually, that's really interesting because <laughs> right. we don't see children no. in this either. Mm -hmm. So I guess I don't know where we're at reproductive standing Chicken wise. heads don't reproduce. Yeah, no, they don't. Yeah, right? but yeah, but it is that it is that whole idea, like I said, of remember in elementary school, you'll climb under your desk when the nuclear holocaust comes and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So getting back to being on the roof with the neighbor and of yeah. course the neighbor's talking about the reproductive organs of his horse. Because my horse is real and it's pregnant and uh, you could maybe get a colt and I would never sell you a colt. And it's, again, the whole like neighbor's bickering thing. Right, right. And he talks about his sheep getting uh, and dying of tetanus. Again, I think in this early chapter, we are kind of being set up here with that humans and life are like machines. We break down, we malfunction, we get viruses. You know, and I think this will come back when we get to Isidore and the cat as well, where we're getting back to, to life, even though we're considering it life. It is like machinery. It, it, there's a lot of similarities there mm -hmm. that I think he's yeah. trying to strike to. So uh, we're getting into chapter two, right? He gets into his hover car, flies off, and Decker yeah, goes yeah, to his he, office. After he tells off his neighbor. Yeah. After he actually tells his neighbor that, no, this is an electric sheep, and your horse could die too. <laughs> and then he gets in his car and drives away. <laughs> right. yeah. To me, there's so much 1950s going on here. Again, the, that you're going to create this artificiality. Right, and it's all it's all artificial, and and there's horrible things going on inside. Your wife is there, uh, you know, doing mind altering drugs. You're trying to keep up with the neighbors, and you're off to the office. Yes, yeah, you know, on my way. And then um, we and then we get uh, actually at the at the end of chapter one, I'm having a good time, and I kind of yeah. animals on the roof. That's kind of weird, but I get it. Okay, right. Like, I kind of like where this is going. And then we get into chapter two, and vomit about World War Terminus. Uh, oh. yeah, it's it's about. <laughs> I Isidore. Yeah, we jump right to John. Um, yeah, yeah, but like, and it's not like immediately. Not immediately. I mean, we have Deckard who goes off no, no, I mean, into the suburbs of San Francisco. It, it's it, the the transition between Deckard and Isidore is like whiplash inducing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, like w w w what just happened? Right. Right. Like, I'll, I'll, okay. Like, because 
Deckard's going to work, and then it starts talking about somebody being. It talks stuff. about World War Terminus and this whole about this synthetic freedom fighting androids and how they've been altered for use in colonization. And the UN had encouraged immigration mm-hmm. by giving android servants. Oh yeah, to, yeah like yeah, yeah. what you said in your plot synopsis, right? And thousands of stalwart individuals refused to leave Earth. So and again, right. you get this whole idea: Earth has been depopulated. All anybody who's got a mind, uh, you know, in their head has left uh, Earth and has gone to Mars, and they all get these androids and then there's these like again maybe a play on american rugged individualism where they just will not be moved you know uh well and i took a huge part of this too as um you know kind of the great depression kind of the dust bowl aspect oh yeah because i think dick does a very good job at the beginning here even though it's tedious for a bit does a very good job at everything's covered in crap Mm-hmm. Everything's yes. covered in dust. You're covered in dust. Right. Everything outside is covered. It's in irradiated dust. dust. There's <laughs> dust in the air. Yeah. I mean, so I took the whole. Du- I, I took the whole. You know, dust bowl aspect of everything's just dirty all right. the freaking the dirty thirties on the planet. Yep, the entire planet is dirty. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. No, I I agree. But like you said, then we get we are introduced to John Isidore, uh, an immigrant to San Francisco. I he's special. Right, because he's been irradiated. Right, isn't that what you get? He's been damaged in some way from the radiation. Right, yeah. mental capacities diminished. But right. like, but like, uh, he, he, he's smart for a chicken head. Right, yeah, he barely the, failed the IQ. Although, isn't that what he says about himself? Yes. Right. So we're not really sure yeah. if that's true. Correct. Well, he does make reference throughout the entire time and especially later when he talks to other people, he does make reference to the, well, I barely failed the test. Yeah. Right. I barely failed the IQ right. test. He's, and he's the guy at the party telling everybody's IQ score. Like, okay, dude. And I kind of got, like, I'm like, oh, this is where Verhoeven got some of his ideas for, like, um, uh, RoboCop. Because we're oh. sitting here and we got this television, right, who's constantly breaking in with kind of farcical commentary. And he's watching TV and this commercial comes in where they're going to hail a return to pre-Civil War days with models of androids that will tirelessly work. Again, like yeah. this weird, weird, weird farcical where we're humanity, or at least the humanity that is left on Earth, is like hearkening back to pre-Civil War days and wanting to own slaves. Yeah. Uh, you know, androids yeah. are now this slave class on right. Earth. You know, yeah. and and Isidore is so much. He did, you know, this chicken head aspect where his genetic makeup has been changed so much that he's not allowed to leave the planet. Right. Yes. Um, and so, like Deckard's wife, uh, John keeps talking about this over, overwhelming loneliness of Earth. And again, Dick, uh, if there's anything he does do well, he does, in these opening chapters, sell, I feel, kind of the, uh, the desolation of Earth. It right. feels yeah. like an incredibly depressing... I mean, this is a very uh, a depressing, bleak I, future. I, I feel like paying. I just walked out of the, the bunker and into the first building in Fallout 4. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I'm yeah. just wandering around. Yeah. And I come upon John and he's hanging out and there's a TV on. He's licking something off a TV tray. We don't know. And, right, every, and, and, and everybody's lonely. Yeah, little right. shards of light shining Even people around other people are lonely. Yeah. But let's talk about what, what John is doing. He is a follow of mercerism, where you go and you have this device, you grip these two handles, mm-hmm. right, which allow you to... It, 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 Mercer appears to you and teaches you to empathize. Before we get into mercerism, I want to, like, pull out and go, like, so... What is the relationship? And I looked this up online. I couldn't find it. What was the relationship between Dick or what did Dick think about L. Ron Hubbard? 
because they would have both been science fiction writers kind of in the same time frame. And I know when L. Ron Hubbard comes up with Scientology, one of the things that Scientology has is that little box with the little handles you hold that tries to extricate those past whatever is from you, right? And then all of a sudden here you have this whole play in this novel on mercerism and all of everybody's following this. Well, I mean, we can talk about it now. It's a fake religion, right? Mercer right. is not real, yeah, yeah. and they're gripping it's a TV these. Show. Yeah, and they're gripping yeah. these handles. Everybody's lo- everybody's logging in to feel empathy with each other, and you log in to go with other people. If you're sad, you log in because the happy people will pick you up. Right. If you're and happy, it, if you're too happy, the down people will bring you down. And you're like, you're basically logging into this dude who is climbing an epic staircase, and when he gets to the top, he goes back down to the bottom. Right. And Sisyphus, so there's man. Sisyphus. I, exactly. It's allusions to Sisyphus. It's a Allusions to Jesus Christ on right. on the hill of Golgotha, like it's, it's all these allusions to kind of every religious character mm-hmm. that you know is taking punishment in some the, ways to the, teach the, us. Something. I, the only thing I want to say, like here, is you know, <coughs> he, like he's about to go to work and he just he can't handle like the emptiness that is outside, so he comes back inside. Just the way that it was written, and maybe I maybe I was tired. I don't know. Yeah. There's something about the way it was written where all of a sudden he comes back inside and he holds these handles, right. and all this starts happening. Like I, man, I just. It was jarring already going from Deckard right. to this weird history recap, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden to John, and then all of a sudden John is putting his head in this, like, man, this, I'm like, what right. the heck is going yeah. on? I, he, think, I think he wanted to immediately connect John with empathy, so the best way to do that, give him that box, show us what he does every day, because Isidore is probably the most the, the one most capable mm-hmm. of empathy in the book. And he, he is, and, and the weird thing about the going through the box is, you know, people are throwing rocks at the guy going up the stairs that you're connected with, but you get real world wounds from when you get hit with the rock. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think we'll bring this up especially and also the, in chapter 2, that's weird. Yeah. Like that's where I am like what Okay. And bringing it up towards the end, as we go to the end, this will actually happen to our main character where he will get wounded. I think we're not there's a lot being played here. We talked about this, I think, off air, right, uh, Ted? About uh, this is magical realism. Yeah, in places it, in this book. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of books that incorporate religion have been playing have used magical realism as a way to explore consequences of religion without right. explicitly targeting a religion and somehow exposing it right. through literature. So, it, so yeah. And you go into the whole psychology thing too is if you really believe that you're going if you really believe that you've been hit by a rock in your mind does will your right. body automatically form the bruise? Well, but right. in some ways and especially by the end of this book uh, it's going to feel matrix. <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel like there's almost like a followers of Mercer can become in some ways a stigmata in a exactly. way where like like their belief is almost leading them to have actual physical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, um, from yeah. Mercerism, I, I, I don't know. But I, so I, as he's cleaning his wound here, he hears, he hears all of a sudden he hears noise. His TV's off. He thinks he's the only one living in this massive building, but he hears noise from downstairs. Yeah, and I, I actually love this because the, in my mind, how I'm picturing uh, John is actually not necessarily, although close to the John, how he is portrayed. The, the J.F. Sebastian, the character Sebastian later. character, right? Um, and I'm picturing him like that, but I love that he wants to bring his new neighbor a cube of butter. I don't know why, but I just I I, I get instantly. No, this, it's not butter; it's margarine because we don't have enough animals to really make butter for everybody. Yeah, it's right. called <laughs> actually butter in the book, but good catch. It's got to be margarine. No, it's called margarine. Is it margarine? It's yeah. called margarine. Yeah. Is it a square of margarine? In my, a square okay, of margarine. In my copy, it only lasts thirty-five oh. weeks. Margarine. I mean, you know, you can leave it outside for like a decade. Flies in it, just pick them out, eat it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so, but I, I love that because it, it instantly sets up it in innocence. I mean, we already know he's a chicken head, but I mean... Right, but he's a nice guy, and he's low. But, but I mean, you know, and you say chicken head, maybe chicken head is just this, like, phrase that is used. But no, like, you know, all of a sudden he's bringing a, a square of margarine to his neighbor. I'm like, okay, I get, right. what's, I get but, what's going but on. But you here. know what I also think is happening here is because we're going to later find out that uh, Polakov, the one uh, android who is hiding, he's the Russian, right, that he's going to refer to himself as an ant head because mm -hmm. he's a collector of garbage. And so I'm thinking that what we're doing is getting a play here on a chicken head, like a chicken running around with its head cut off, or maybe the, the mm. sky is falling, that with religion, the idea, you know, the a religious belief of, uh, you know, an apocalypse or whatever, that, that people who believe in religion are chicken heads and people who work menial labor are like the worker ants, they're ant heads. Like, I think his, the naming system he's using is kind of calling out social class or right. and belief. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And we're out in the suburbs here and he's in this massive building by himself. He hears the noise down. Another person. Hey, there's somebody here. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, so who does he run down to see? Yeah, which we don't know. Which we don't know. We, we, don't, nope. we don't. No, we cut away. No, because we jump back to jerking, Rick on his way to work. Jerking motion. Right. Right. And again, probably from watching the movie, a lot of this is I, I'm knowing who he's going to see. Mm -hmm. Like it's not following the yeah, line of the movie, but I'm I knowing it. I'm knowing it's going to be Pris. That's I, in I, that room. I actually like. I had the thought like I was struggling through the first couple of chapters. I'm like, man, maybe I should. Just I walk. should go watch the movie. I would maybe actually I recommend should, it. And you know, I didn't because there, I, I wanted to hold true to how I was coming into this. There is going to be a lot of purists. Out there, who are really going to be screaming at their devices for me saying you should watch the movie first? Uh, for me, yeah. and I think for for more modern readers, perhaps. Um, and, that, and that is exactly where to, I would classify myself. Yeah, but yeah. as a I, more modern reader, I have not read a lot of books. Like the most of the books that I have read will become well. I guess most of the novels. <laughs> that I have read will come come because of this podcast. I, I do a lot of reading, but it's all technical reading for my right. job. But if right. you're going to do that, Bob, if you're going to watch the movie, I think you need to sandwich it. I think you mm. need to watch the movie, read the book, and then go back and watch the movie again. Yes, oh, definitely. Because yes. the movie will make so much more sense after yes. you read the book. Yeah, well, it's almost like I don't know what you <laughs> should do first. But I do feel if, if you're a person who's 60s, uh, you know, sci-fi doesn't necessarily do it for you. You might need to get the foundation of the visuals. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not well, sure. Well, I think so, because he doesn't give you a lot. He doesn't give no, you a lot. It's, no, uh, no, yeah, he's skipping over stuff where were, I think he does. He shouldn't be. Right. But, I mean, my, he does skip over things that I think he should. Right, yeah. But he also skips over things where I'm like... Right. Uh, okay, I guess we're with a different character now. Right. Like all, and it's all, all up to your own imagination. So, like, in all honesty, um, by what he describes, Blade Runner is a gorgeous-looking film, mm -hmm. you know? And it is, in terms of what they set up for the look of that universe, if that's not what's in your head, if you're just going on what he says, I mean, even some of his naming structure for things, they're not laser guns or anything. They're just called laser tubes. Mm -hmm. tubes, man. And in all honesty, I mean, I'm he, sorry he if was. people would be mad at me out there, listeners, but that's a really dumb description. It, it is. You know, it's just a laser Matt, tube. Matt, 1968, yeah. he is in a world of his own. Yeah, right. Oh, yes. He, man. Right. I, I, can, I can feel his influence on pop culture today. 
Yeah. I can feel it reading this book. Yeah. And I respect that. Right, right. But man, am I having a trouble. A yeah. troubled there time. There is that antiquated language that sometimes is being used to describe things that can be sometimes it can run up against modern sensibilities because, yeah. you know, I mean, we are so far beyond where this was written. So we jump back in with Rick on his way to work. We stop by the pet shop for a little bit. Right, right. Of course, of chapter three. Of uh, I love that it's called the Hall of Justice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rise over the Hall of Justice. Isn't that where the Justice League yes. met? <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, there's a, hey, there's an ostrich in the pet store window. And I love the description of these pet stores because, like, this, I, I just feel that the street is lined with pet stores with big windows in them. <laughs> right, right. Hey, do you want to keep up with your neighbor? Buy an ostrich. Well, we do actually, we do this thing first, though, where his boss, the police inspector, Harry Brandt, informs him that all this stuff about David Holden, the chief bounty hunter at the Mount Zion Hospital, has been killed, has been, well, he's got a laser to the spawn. Yeah, he's they the got hospital. to him. They got to him. They got to him. Right? Yeah. Which I think is, is meant to be surprising. Right. You would think androids would be hard to kill. They make it seem like it's very easy and that now he must be alarmed because... Dave, they got to Dave. Right. So, so they must be getting better. But I mean, you know. Actually, if there's one thing I'm very surprised at in this book is how non-threatening androids are. Right. Yeah, I agree. The the androids <coughs> carry no weight of threat to them. The biggest threat we have is what we did as our intro. The Polakov right. is about the most dangerous seeming of them. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's the first one killed. I mean, we never get this idea that they're... They're in any way paramilitary, or they're training, or that there's any dangerousness to them at all. No, so either Dave screwed up, or uh, they're they're getting a lot better, and I well, guess we're led to believe the latter. They're, well, and yeah. we're getting more dangerous. And we're supposed to get this, and we get this information in here too at this point that Dave Dave Holden was the basically the senior bounty hunter, right? And mm-hmm. Deckard is just kind of a half newbie, or not even a half newbie at this, but he's kind of the junior. He's kind of the junior officer here. So right. hey, they got they got the really good guy. So they got Batman. So we're gonna send Robin in. And what I right. think we're also meant to understand from this is again playing with Deckard. Deckard at the beginning of this book has no empathy, no whatsoever. I mean, his partner. I mean, he wasn't truly his partner. I guess you could see him as being. Uh, uh, his competitor yeah. at the office. Yeah, yeah, more a competitor than but a as, partner. Yeah, yeah, but has been laid out. He doesn't care. I mean, there's no empathy that he's no, no, been laid that's, out. No, that's actually, like, that's good for business for Deckard. Yeah. Right. He and sees it as a positive. And, and, and yeah. all he can do is, like you said then, Klopp, is he starts thumbing through his book right away going, hey, no, what can no, I afford off I, of this? Because well, <laughs> I, I, I get the feeling when you're reading this in the beginning that, kind of, you know, Holden gets the A-list. Mm-hmm. You get the A list. These are these are the ones Deckard that are worth mocks, more. Mops up after. Yeah, these are the bigger yeah. bon- <laughs> these are the bigger bony ones. Yeah. Um, Deckard, yeah, you're gonna get a bonus, but you go after the pleasure bots that aren't really gonna come after you. <laughs> right, and yeah, then right. you've got uh, the fact that I think he still throughout the book only worries about catching him and the money he's gonna get. Yeah, none of it's a revenge thing. No, nope. he's, he's concerned for his own life. But then the other thing he always constantly thinks about. Is two thousand a piece? Yeah, it's two thousand a piece. It's 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 never the Andy's shot my no. partner. Dave, you took down Dave. Yeah, yeah, no. he's never screaming at no. the heavens, Dave. No. This is no. for you, Dave. Is he? Yeah. Never. No, no. There's a lot of it. If okay, I can get the bonus right now, and my wife will get off my back. But I, I love because my, <laughs> my wife is spending money as fast as I can freaking make it right now. But again, I love that kind of sitting at home, simulating being depressed. <laughs> God. Yeah. But I love actually. I I hesitate to say real world. Uh, aspect of it is 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 that 
in some ways that probably is how it is in certain sectors, right? You know, yeah. I mean, where your your partner or somebody else at the office gets hurt, and you're going, oh hey, <laughs> I can capitalize on this, right? It's showing humans have this lack of empathy. Yeah, they can and just usually fake it better. You can yeah. fake that you oh, have I'm empathy, sorry. but Deckard, Deckard isn't even trying to fake no, it. And I and I love that the, for the next part of this chapter, yeah, that's what he's doing. He's not pining the loss of his partner, or I keep saying partner, but his competitor, he's Co-worker. literally just, yeah, he's just going through the catalog. Yeah. And, and that, that, even, oh. that even speaks to, like, um, you know, how, how we spend to what we make. Yeah. Like, oh, oh I'm going to make more money? Well, I better buy something buy nice. Buy something nice, yeah. And again, to show. And <laughs> Shut <again>. up. <laughs> and again, to show off, right? I re- to your neighbors. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't regret that. <laughs> you know, very, and again, about with that, very good 60s to, well, 2018 American commentary here that right. he's making. Right. And he, he goes through this whole thing where he believes that herd animals develop empathy as a survival mechanism, but solitary predators would have limited empathy. And so I guess he's seeing himself, or is he seeing androids as predators, right? And he keeps calling them, like, labeling them the killers, right? He says that followers followers of mercerism uh, label, labeled androids the killers. Because and, and not knowing what I'm getting myself into, this repeated mention of mercerism. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a super smart fella. Yeah. I, I kind of thought like mercerism was real and I had to like look it up. Okay, and I, yeah. I felt really dumb after. I'm like, oh, wait, it was made up for this book. <laughs> like, right. I'm like, is this is this something like? Are, are the two are the two English guys and the history guy going to be like making fun of me later? Because no, no. I'm like, oh, I'm no. like, I, I ain't never heard no. Mer- you know what? No, Girl, it's gr- a commentary on organized religion. Growing up back home, I ain't never heard of no mercerism. Right, right. But what I love here is again, uh, Philip. K. Dick pretty much describes uh, what we would consider sociopathic behavior and attributes it to androids. Mm-hmm. You know, and, he, and he's yeah. saying, hey, this, they are not human because they are this way, which mm-hmm. is True. basically what a sociopath is, which, which is human. Which, yeah. which, since the 60s, since this time period, there have been the, the mental diagnosis for human beings who lack that empathetic response. Yeah. Can actually be traced back to this book. Oh, really? It's for like a lot of the diet. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe there's really people like that, and so you you start to see a, a look because there are people out there that lack this response, like you said, with the sociopathic tendencies. Yeah. Well, and Deckard comments, I think, a really important quote um, on how he feels about androids. He says, "It says in uh, page thirty here for Rick Deckard, an escaped humanoid robot which had killed its master." which had been equipped with an intelligence greater than that of many human beings, which had no regard for animals, which possessed no ability to feel empathic joy for another life form's success or grief at its defeat, that, for him, epitomized the killers. So he's he's taking that mercerism ideal, transferring it onto the androids that he's hunting, and I think for for him that justifies what he's doing. He's like, oh, I'm not that bad. Right. Uh, I'm killing the, the, the ones who would kill everyone else. They don't care about anybody. But that's his internal struggle as well. Mm-hmm. Do I feel? How do I feel about what I do? Right, in my job? and again, Which you were you were saying you were saying World War Two and Korea, right. right? Again, that whole idea where if you're going to be a killer, if you're going to be a soldier who kills 
the uh, you, in some ways you have to dehumanize the right. other side. Yeah. You have to you have to strip them of the fact that they are human, and that's what you know you do, I guess, in a lot yeah. of ways as history a history of war worldwide. Yeah, history, you are not human beings. We're yeah. gonna kill. And them. he is in his mini war against the Andes, so he is stripping them, you know, in his own mind of of being capable of possessing right. any kind of humanity. Yeah, right. Which, which I love. Um, again, we, we talked about the ostrich, and I, I love this. It's $30,000 to buy. <laughs> but it's 800 bucks if you get the if you get the fake one. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. We got in this chapter really well. Was like, I, we were starting to talk about hunting androids. We were starting to talk about what Deckard does for a living. It's really starting to pick up for me. And like just like, oh, my, oh, yeah, I'm really starting to like this book. He picks up the phone and starts calling the pet shop about the ostrich. <laughs> like, are you yes! kidding me? Yes. And for me, that is such a good part of the book. That's what I love. I love uh, this. I love all this it's, dumb it's, animal stuff. You know what? It, it's it's like, okay, uh, we, we live we live uh, in a region with a lot of snow. Yeah. Um, it's like being stuck in the snow, and just as you start to gain traction, your tire starts to slip. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I hear you. I hear oh, you. nothing. Or it just slides back into the spot the wheel was already in. Yeah. yeah right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I guess I would say throughout the entire book, if, if your entire theme is going to be empathy, I mean, he does hit this nail yeah, he keeps really hard it. and often. Thanks, <laughs> And that is not something I need in a book. <laughs> Dick hammers the empathy into you. Really is what happens. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yes. Yes. PKD. Yeah. PKD gives it to you, man. <laughs> yes, You're not escaping it. I hope you like empathy. Yeah, because here's the load. <laughs> so he heads for Holden's office. We have this whole conversation here in Chapter 4 between Bryant and Rick. Yeah. Uh, hey, we get this explanation of the Nexus 6 again. Mm-hmm. We finally get the, the name, the Voigt-Kampf test. Yes. yes. Which is going to be used throughout the rest of this novel. To uh, This is the test that they use to determine whether or not you're an android. Yes. Right. Right? And it asks you a series of questions, which everybody listening to this probably has heard because they use these same questions pretty much in Blade Runner. Yes. This is the questions oh, that are okay. act, asked right. in Blade Runner. Right. So it, it, it's it's a thing that's now out there in the culture. A monkey on a fridge murders a cheetah. How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> and then if, you, if, if your pupils don't dilate, you're an android. Yeah, basically. Yep. Um, I, w- I won't lie that uh, I, I feel like the Voigt-Kampf test, a lot of that is just... It's not as great as it could be. No, yeah. I was waiting for something to be kind of mind-blowing about how they determine if you're an android or not. And it really just seems to be kind of... No, it's all these, like, really weird old questions that, like, your grandma would ask you. Well, yeah, it seems to be not legitimate at all. TSA could figure it out in, like, one scanning. (laughs) And you're there kind is, of, an android. and you're kind of going. This is the future. They have hover cars and everything else. How can they not just do a simple blood test? <laughs> you're not getting I, on I the plane. Know. You're not getting on the plane. Um, but during this time period, just before he published this book, there was a doctor called Alan Turing who was working mm. with artificial intelligence tests, dealing with to see if a if a computer could convince a human that it was another human. Oh, okay. And so that's what the Voight Comp test is based off of is okay. Turning's Turning's work because we're just getting into and I mean this this is the computer day and age Luke where it was you know the three gi- three gigabits in a school or, yeah, you know, three gigabits say, in a warehouse yeah, yeah it's three basketball Gig- courts yes three yeah. and a but uh, it, this is actually based off an actual real thing right. Um, dealing with you know as we're just starting the computer age here in the late sixties. You know, running through this, well, what if a computer could be human? Right. And that's where he's going with this. And so that, that I do, I like the Voight-Kampf test. Yeah. I like, I like the aspect, 
I said aspect again, folks. I'm sorry. Let's juxtapose. We can't be banning words of the English language from this podcast. But I do like the explanation. But like you said, if you didn't see the movie, this makes no sense to you whatsoever right, what right. they're doing. Also, it's based, here, on the, here. <laughs> it's based on the idea that all humans naturally feel empathy for any of these scenarios. Which, which is not true. You can either easily fake... No. Yeah. Or people realistically don't actually have that. So, but, I, but I feel that's part of the charm of, I don't know if I'd say charm of this book, but that is what he's driving towards. Is we're in this dystopian future where empathy is being held up as a religious ideal. And people right. are forgetting that, oh, hey, you know, you can fake this. People aren't empathetic. Right. Uh, for God's sakes, we are in a post-apocalyptic world where right. because of lap, lack of empathy, we have destroyed the planet with nuclear weapons. Right. Yeah. right? We're at the pinnacle of a lack of empathy, and yet we are, we are you know, dicing up little things and saying, well, are androids capable of okay, empathy Okay, listen, we might have destroyed the entire planet, but like, if you're not mad about somebody killing a bear to have a rug on their yeah. floor... Right. right. You're an android. I'm but see, yeah. but that, <laughs> I'm gonna get you. That is what I love. Or, be, or, be, or being given an illegal calfskin wallet. Right. Yeah. But that oh is my what, God. Yeah. That actually happened to me. But that is what I love about <laughs> this <laughs> book. <laughs> I, I, I love that this book is so farcical. That that is what we are doing. We are at, at such a farcical point in this book that that but that, I, that I, is I, what society is doing. I love that. Com, That's what I love. From, coming from me, like not knowing a whole lot about what's going on. Yeah. How am I supposed to know this is farcical? I don't because you're not empathetic enough, right? I don't know. I know. I, 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 will, I will say, like a lot of my life is interfacing with machines. Yeah. So maybe I don't know. <laughs> See, that's why I thought you'd have clicked with this right away <laughs> in some ways. No, because we're talking. We're talking about a guy who's going to be hunting androids, but no, he's going to haggle over ostriches. But you're like, missing the point of why he's haggling over well, ostriches. So that's the funny. That's the that's the one of the great statements of this entire book is that you have a guy who is haggling over the prices of ostriches because he's not empathetic and all he is caring about is how he looks to his neighbor on this desecrated, bombed out world where humanity has destroyed itself. And all he cares about is a flipping ostrich on his right. roof. Right. Yeah. That's what's great about this novel is this commentary on humanity and how even in the face of apocalypse we would be worried about what our neighbors are doing yeah and what we have well we still haven't learned empathy well, even though we destroyed ourselves so we find out that there's six of these guys left there's six of these original nexus six androids we get the explanation that we don't know if really the void comp test is going to work on these androids because when they shine the light in your eye and ask you the weird questions these new androids may have a human response right. to it. So Deckard gets shipped off to the factory <laughs> right, to go see if this will work on these other new models. Which, right. again, Philip K. Dick making a comment about how industry runs the government. And right. so, you know, right. and... So the, we also the find indus out the industry here is dictating what the cops do. Right, and in all that, we also find out that one of the androids that he's hunting is named Max Polakov, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, just the fact that he gives him a Russian name. I mean, we're talking about this is kind of right in the middle of the Cold War. So oh, we, we, we've had the explanation that there's really only two governments left. Right. The Soviet Union and yeah, I didn't, really, I didn't really take it. That I just took, you know, there there are only two governments left, so we, there better, are. we better get along with yeah. them. But but a book coming out in the 1960s, The Alien Other, would be Man, I don't want to do, 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 do homework before I read a book. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to read a book. Sorry. 
least no, don't, don't say sorry. Like, I am just, no, I I'm just giving so we you fly my to point the Rosen, of view. Yeah. We fly to the Rosen Association the, 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 building. The modern millennial reader. That's here. true. Don't true. you ever call Which, me a millennial. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, 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 I felt like we were drunk at a bar right there. I'm a modern millennial. Don't you ever call me a millennial. So we fly to the Rosen Association building, which, again, going back to one of our complaints with our last trilogy was... Dick never really explains oh. how flying works. Yeah, or, no, no, and again, this is where Ridley Scott's Blade Runner will inform all of this. But in all honesty, if this book were in some sort of like in reading this in 1960, I don't think I would have had the same positive reaction to this. Again, yeah. the the movie is informing what all this looks like and right. speeds that things are happening yeah, at. Yeah, doesn't he fly to Seattle in like an hour? Yeah, it, it takes <laughs> almost no time. But whatever. <laughs> and we meet Rachel Rosen. Yeah. Hello, nurse. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hello, Andy. Oh wait. But hello, niece. But something that I'm sure that I'm sure Luke loves is being confronted with this beautiful woman. All he and cares about owl. is a collection of animals. He's like a raccoon and an owl. <laughs> I will read. I will read this to you straight from my notes. Okay. Okay. This is better. I feel like the story is actually moving here. Of course, we have to stop and talk about the animals. Oh my god! Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen a raccoon? For some reason, the virus hurt the raccoon first. Yeah. <sighs> uh, I and and in in some parts of this, he feels like that weird librarian from Star Wars, where he's looking through his little book and he's like, "There's an owl here, but owls are extinct. Sydney's <laughs> Sydney's doesn't yeah. listen. Ask a child. And Sydney's would never be wrong. Like, yeah, like according, to the, according to the Sydney Blue Book. Yeah, according to Sydney Blue Book, there should there shouldn't be owls, but there's an owl here, right? Uh, which which the, the librarian Maybe from Star Wars? What's that? The librarian from Star Wars, where if it's not in the library, it doesn't exist. Maybe someone. It's like if it's not in Sydney's, it doesn't exist. Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Um, uh, we meet Elden Rosin. <laughs> yep. Um, Rosin Rosen, however which, you which want to go pay, he this. plays I a. I think that's what pictures. Eldon plays a far smaller part in this book than I thought he would. When right, we first yeah. met him, I thought, oh, he's going to be kind of a power player in the background of well, this story. Is, but we just but he know. is. But we really don't get much beyond this of Eldon whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And in fact, his daughter can do whatever she wants. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Nice. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. He's taken this nice plush living apartment, which I have furnished in my mind with really plush shag carpeting from the seven. Well, and again, we have this. We we, we have this. Yeah. The cop shows fur up. And musk. Yeah, fur and musk. The yes. cop shows up to do cop things, <laughs> but is now being dictated to by the leader of industry. Right. Right. To, no, no, you're 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 here to do what I tell you to do. Which I think again is playing into Deckard's character. This is why they sent Bryant out on everything. Right, Deckard. In some way, he's out of his depth. Almost instantly, he's he's had to take up the the kill sheet, uh, and he is not really up to this task. True, he is uh, outwitted. He's, the, out, yeah, he's they, outwitted. They he's out of his depth. Yeah. I mean, he's an idiot who literally is getting in his car, just kind of going. Um, so, how much are ostriches? Yeah. You know what he's getting done. So, in some ways, I feel like uh, this is this is why uh, Blade Runner really did this character a favor by having Harrison Ford. The character on the page is not Harrison Ford. 
I don't feel Harrison Ford gets outwitted, gets in the car and goes, hmm, I wonder what ostriches yeah. are going you, for. You, you would never you, know, you would never cast Harrison yeah. Ford in that role. No, no. In, in this role, no. no. Uh, yeah, Ridley Scott did some aspects of this book a huge favor mm. by yes. by changing some of this. Because so, this wouldn't play well to a general audience. So he hooks play well to you. He hooks <laughs> he hooks Rachel up to the machine. Yeah. Uh, and he's cr- and he tests her and goes through different responses. We get one of the iconic lines from the movie. Right? Are you are you testing if I'm an android or are you testing if I'm a homosexual? <laughs> which, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a great line. Which they they change it to lesbian in the movie, but. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, it's an interesting little you know back and forth between the ice queen and kind of the bumbling dude at this point. Right. Um, we go through here. We go through the test. They ask a bunch of questions. And all of this stuff with the test is is a gimme that I'm just giving the book because in all honesty, I'm like, okay, if they're androids and they have this brain and they can do a bo- bone marrow test to find out if they're actually an android, there would be I feel in reality a much easier, quicker test to do right. just with yeah. a needle or a syringe or a scan, but. If this is what you got to set up for your book, that there's this these series of questions and you've got to maintain this empathy thing, right? Because right. the questions all tie into this whole theme of empathy. Okay, I'm giving that to the book. That, okay, the only way we can really tell without really invasive, long processes mm-hmm. is this true. these questions. Yeah, I'm just giving... And not even whether you feel empathy or not, but your unconscious physical reactions. Right. Yes. Yes. I had to give in to just not questioning it, like you said. Like, yeah. You have yeah. to do that with more yeah. than just this in the book, though. There with, is a lot of... With Dick's prose, you have to just assume, okay, sounds good. I guess we'll just roll with that. And that's the point yes. of a good book. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> Sorry, there, are, there are holes. I mean, there, there, there are large holes. I, so, I Decker proclaims her to be an android. Eldon tells her, nope, she's human. She was just raised off-world in a ship with adults, so that's why she doesn't care about anybody. Right. But well, and I love that this is so stupid or weird to me as well. Yep. As he's leaving, yep. Yep. Rachel refers to the owl as an it, not a her, mm-hmm. and that's when yep. he goes, "Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait." She fails. Nexus Six is close to human, but not perfect. And yet, you have again, you have humans who mm. constantly refer to animals mm. as it. Pronoun usage. Yeah, well, that, that, her. that is in no way an that, indicator that, of humanity. Pronoun usage. That is a very topical <laughs> subject right now, Ted. <laughs> and, and Decker just kind I'm of. I'm sure agree. they are very appreciative. Uh, who is they? Um, and we get, we get to the point here too, where they're like, "Well, we won't tell anybody that you failed. We'll give you the owl." And Decker's like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, he, he's totally just like on board with it. Oh, I'm gonna go home. I'm having a hole. Yeah, right. Cool. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute. You called it Nit? Like, don't Wait, it's not a real owl? He's kind of Gomer Pyle in some ways. Like, you just, <laughs> you just see him. The, the door to the, 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 the hover car opens up. An old Gomer Pyle comes out. Um, and so the second question after you're gonna the. You're going to give me an owl? The, the, yeah. <laughs> just for putting on a roof. The last question, when he brings her back, hooks her back up to the machine after she said it, is, yeah. my briefcase is made out of baby hat. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. What? what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. What is that? I, I, I don't I'm know. like, okay, so wait, you didn't feel anything about baby hide. 
<laughs> lack of empathy towards humans, maybe. Right. Right. Uh, maybe. There, there's there's parts of this test maybe. that are ridiculous, yeah, but whatever. Um, I know lovers of this book will definitely hold that up as being some sort of call me out, draw and wonderful, quarter, draw and quarter me on the internet. But I, I think I, I think if you look at this book with with reality goggles on, there's some for me really strong parts of this, and it has its faults. You mm-hmm. cannot. Hold this up as being any kind of perfection in prose no. by yeah. any stretch of the. But you also have to, I think, with science fiction, allow for some of that. Yes, yes. Because even in the time it was written, he doesn't know what twenty twenty one is going to look like. Right. Like, you know, we don't right. know what right. sixty years from now is going to be going on. And again, with I think we're, with we're, we're in twenty eighteen, we don't know what twenty twenty one is going right. to look like. True, but yeah. well, but and actually, are we looking at? Are we looking at like nineteen ninety two? As huh? far as when this is supposed to take place, it's twenty twenty one. Yeah, twenty twenty one is when it's supposed to be happening. Um, but I think the best science fiction, li- like old Star Trek, like you can watch old Star Trek episodes, It's the, the power of them a lot of times is their commentary on humanity and not the details of, of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sure. a, lot, a lot of the times. Right. So we're going on to chapter six. Uh, John Isidore uh, follows the sound of Buster Friendly. Yes, because now we need to jump to John. <laughs> Earth's most knee-slapping comic. I, I don't mind this. I like John, and I like his story. I was actually left on a semi-cliffhanger, uh, you know, with knowing that he was going to meet with Pris, and I was kind of into what was going on mm-hmm. with his little pat of margarine, right? <laughs> um, and so this small, dark-haired girl wearing only pajama bottoms and nothing Ooh, else uh, yeah. shows up at the door. Why would you answer the door like that? I see you're an android. Well, you okay. are just questioning everything now. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me the margarine. Wait, you know what? Why would they trade a hammer if they were... I'm just kidding. It's true. <laughs> the hammer of Karis. Oh, they had to forge Dragon Lances, man. Uh, <laughs> no. Only thing they had at the time. I want to I wanna bring up that okay. going back and looking at this, it's 2021 after Blade Runner came out. They changed oh, it. They okay. changed it. Okay. It was originally. See, I went up with the date that's on the back of my copy of the book, which is the Blade Runner it was Del Rey a, edition. Yeah, it was originally yeah. 1992. Okay, oh. it was 92. Okay, cool. Well, you know what? They could have been them, watching. I'm uh, changing the year. Doesn't mean squat now. <laughs> I want my flying car. <laughs> they could have been Same. watching Street Fighter. <laughs> we had Street Fighter at that point. Yes. Okay. Um, so yeah. So we jumped to John Isidore. There's a TV set booming with Buster Friendly. I Whoa. love this Buster Friendly uh, because this is definitely a play on like Johnny Carson or anybody else at the time, right? Uh, you know, these kind of would Johnny daytime. Carson have been in the '60s? Yeah, I think he's he. Or I don't know. If he, he didn't Park. have the he didn't have the ja- Johnny Carson. Show, but yeah, yeah, you're a par. I mean, this was yeah. kind of the beginning of that late night, that yeah. whole late night uh, genre. Uh, what's his name? Entertainment. Uh, uh, Ed Sullivan. Ed, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Ed Sullivan. Yeah, Ed Sullivan show, right? Um, which, in a lot of ways, I think he's making a, again a commentary on how this is just. Uh, it makes relationships with you, right? Like you feel as you're watching this that you know you're sitting down with friends, you're interviewing guests. It's funny. It's, it's like light. your mood organ. It's a mood organ, and mm-hmm. yeah, television is a mood organ, and it it utterly is meaningless. Yep. Like there's nothing to any of it, you know. Um, which which I really like. We get. I think is this is the first time we get our little word kipple. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I, Which is a word insert, weird insertion of just we're gonna bits of useless trash are called kipple. I feel like this is something Dick came up with one day while he was high walking to the fridge and yeah. just couldn't let it go. Kipple, they've got kipple everywhere. Kipple. And he sat around laughing about it on the <laughs> couch and then just continuously uses yeah. it. Gonna, yeah, I, I like it. I like I, the term. I get it. Weird. 
I get it. He kind of beats the definition to death here. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't I, even know. Um, yeah, but I, I get it. Show. I understand. Yeah. Go to any, you know, go to any metropolitan area and walk down the street. There's kipple everywhere. It's all kinds Grinala of kipple. Row, yeah. uh, you know, granola bar roll or wrappers. Uh, There's pop bottles. Which I kind of love because butts. I will, for the rest of my life, probably refer to it as kipple. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> I think obviously it just reinforces uh, humanity's trashing of the planet and right. respect for nature yep. right. uh, tendency to hoard stuff that we don't need right, again right. this whole you know ideal of and the world. horrible small talk that jo- that uh, Isidore tries to make here with the, oh, pre- the pretty so topless girl yeah. tries to talk to her about Buster Friendly and she's just like what? Right. Uh, no the Ooh. dude you were watching on TV yeah tries to ask her if she's got an empathy box <laughs> yeah so you got an empathy box too? I got an empathy box <laughs> which, which is a weird come online. You yeah. want to use mine? I'll use yours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, I think this is one of those kind of veiled things that fails for me because I've watched the movie. So I know immediately that Pris is an android. And of course, he's playing it off as, oh, she doesn't seem to know anything about it. Like he plays for a while that, is she human or what's with her? Right. You know, it's very, I mean, oh, did, there's no surprise there just... that she's an android. She says her last name is Rosen, doesn't she? Like, she gives it away. Stratton. Yeah. No, she calls herself Ra- Rachel Rosen at the beginning. Yeah. So that, No, that, we're talking about who Isidore yeah. is talking yes. to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, does she? She yeah. calls herself Rachel Rosen which, at the which very just beginning. Like, I'm like, oh, oh, no, my name's Press Holden or whatever yeah. her name oh, is. Oh, right, yeah. yeah like, there, oh, there, I guess I that. Because, that. because remember in this... secret in, to this. Oh, okay. Yeah, because remember, in this universe, different from the movie, she's the same model Yeah, they're the same model. Rachel. No, and I remember that. I guess I missed that and she, she ca- said that. Yeah, oh, she yeah. calls herself yeah, Rachel okay. Rosen, and you have that moment of like, well, what the hell is she doing here? Again, again yeah. I guess where the exactly. movie is doing me foul is it just, I already assumed I just jumped over that, not even... Yeah, and then she's like, oh, my name's Press. Yeah, and there's a moment where, didn't she? All right, whatever, she's hot, she's topless. Well, yeah, and he's a chicken head. So what is it? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, John begins his day with a robot as a robot animal vet, and I don't know why. I guess I'm liking things that I guess everybody else is hating. But I just love the fact that he's a stupid animal vet. And he picks up this cat that he's he's he not kills, a, no he kills the cat. No, he's not the vet. He's just the driver. Yeah, the driver guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like working for a vet. Yeah. And because these animals are very precious to people, but and it so, doesn't. Again, it feels like there's a, a devoid. People are devoid of love for their animals. Right. Well, and they just want to keep them alive as a status symbol. Yes, and something that has to be explained here is. There are the electric animals, there are the natural animals, and then there is the vet, quote-unquote, that John works for here, right? which is not a vet. They sell and they service fake animals, but like on the outside of their trucks, they do it so that it's that keeping up with the Joneses thing. So if this truck pulls up to your house, it looks like a real vet truck, not the electric repairman (laughs) coming up. And so somebody called them by mistake... For a real vet job, and he just shows up and takes the real cat <laughs> and right. leaves thinking it's a fake cat. Yeah, I, for some reason, I don't know why, I just, I love all of this. And he's driving around listening to, again, Buster Friendly, and he's all ticked off because he's a follower of Mercerism. He's mad about his conical breasted guests, and always, that is what they say in the book. Now they're always talking about nothing. Well, and I like this, um, too, because we're already into seven here, and I like this idea too of the shots that are taken at Buster Friendly here being 
he's got these, ho- he's the host, and the people that are always on this show never are actually doing anything. No. They're even in the. He's si- got that same woman even, that's even always in, on. Even in the '60s, we have the Kardashians. We have the people who are famous for being famous. Yeah, and that's all they are. Yeah, people oh. know while I'm thinking about my next project, and then they never actually do a project to begin. Right, with. and I think this is where where uh, Philip K. Dick, you know, is kind of transcending, uh, y- you know, even the time period. Because I mean, yeah, exactly. This is Kardashians in a lot of ways. Like, you have entire groups of people that follow around a family that is famous for no reason whatsoever. They they do nothing. They have like no talent, you know. But but yet you that's it. That's it. But you oh, yeah. You watch but they're on them. the show. You they're on the show them. every other day, so therefore they're important. Yeah, because they're on the television, they, on, they must I be important. How they make it on the show so often? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's great. It's versions of reality. Human beings have weird concepts of reality including social media now and tv like and the isolation factor it's like a buddy i'm gonna see this person every day this tv because i don't right. buy anyone else but at the same time i'm not getting sucked into this weird world that's not real but i don't really realize it does it right. really matter that a, like how do you explain the kardashians getting thousands millions and millions of followers i don't know well uh, and, 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 and before the kardashians immediately when we're doing the bus when we're doing the buster friendly show and he's got that the girl on there with the accent i'm like is this jaja or is this chiro i, I was <laughs> feeling like it was jaja yeah definitely yeah oh. we value strange things as well <laughs> we do value strange yeah. things yes. no these people are popular I agree. and and again oh. I, oh, I love yeah them. can you imagine bringing a fake cat to your fake to your to your electrical boss and him going um this is a real cat Right. Yeah, I know, I know. But the, uh, there's all this artificiality, which I love, and like, like, like you said, where people are all messed up, and in this far future society here, I guess 1992. <laughs> but this, whoa, whoa. but far future society, we, you were as I want you to be. <laughs> um, Anyway. But they've, they've come, become so separated, they don't even understand death or the natural life cycle. Yeah, of, of no, he's like, I just, I, just, I just thought it was a really good job, and it shorted itself out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow, they're completely okay. mystified by the death of an animal. It, it's really well, and quite we, the thing. Yeah, and we have this weird thing where we have sloat. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about sloat. Yes. Because sloat is uh, Isidore's boss here. Right. And... If you if you watch, we'll talk about this with the movie again. But if you watch Blade Runner the movie, um, the uh, main Tyrell is a combination of Rosen and Sloat. Right. Yeah. He definitely has a lot of Sloat in him. And so, but just so freaking mean to this guy, <laughs> the guy who stutters and is special. No, no, you're gonna make the call to the wife to say this cat is dead. Yeah. <laughs> and so he just stumble. We have this whole awkward moment where he's stumbling through this call, but then we get to the end and he feels better about himself because he actually made it through the call. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So meanwhile, in the Hall of Justice. <laughs> Um, Decker decides that he's going to lie to his boss about how the whole test went with old Rachel, mm-hmm. um, right? And uh, Brian informs Decker the Russians are sending over somebody uh, from the WPO to work with him and track down a runaway Andy. Um, and Decker decides to go after him, right? Which I love this. He's working as an ant head, which we already talked about, right? right. And this is what we did as this whole intro where he, he meets up with him. And, I was completely and ends up blowing his head off. But I was completely weirded out by the setup for this scene. Yeah. Because all of a sudden I went to whatever the movie is from the 80s with John Belushi and Arnold Schwarzenegger 
where he's Arnold Schwarzenegger's the Soviet cop that comes to like LA to help with the investigation. I'm like, where are we going with this? <laughs> Did you dream this movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jim Belushi, not John Belushi. Uh, um, but again, I feel there's a little bit of commentary on our fear of Russia at this time yeah. with, with, with what's going on. But I'm also going to point out that that uh, Philip K. Dick can't write him no action. No. He no. can't write action to save Red his Heat. life. Red Heat Red is the name Heat. of the movie. Okay. Never seen Red I'm, Heat. I wrote and a short story <laughs> called And Red kids, Heat. don't look don't 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 look that up online. Okay. Not, like, <laughs> Red Heat, a short story where the jeans never come off. Jean <laughs> <laughs> jamming. I all of a sudden became like, is this gonna be a buddy cop Friction movie parties. all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. Is this gonna yeah. all of a sudden become a buddy yeah. cop where he's gotta deal with the Russian Yeah, yeah, like, the Russian partner. Russian yeah. partner. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I don't know where this is going because I know that this book is not supposed to be like hello a I'm your new partner <laughs> I'm here looking they my gun. call me red heat <laughs> they call me red heat <laughs> why am I going to be partner with no Russian man yeah. no if there's things that <laughs> the chief said two, two, two of the big things that I'm going to uh, knock this book for is that Philip K. Dick I have not read anything else he's done but in terms of this book, his action sucks. Yeah, I, and then, the, yeah, this maybe. book is not supposed to be action, and I guess people are probably screaming, "You're missing the point." Oh, no, God. we're getting what the point of the novel is. I'm right. just saying, he can't write action. No, this yeah, is confusing. Well. It's not. It's not at all a gripping. It's, a lot it's of poorly this book done. is confusing. It's yeah. the buildup is good. Yeah, the yeah, execution the build up is, is great. poor. Execution it's, very. The poor. balance between here's my theme and here's a great action related plot. Yeah. Does not pan out. Yeah. He's really good at setting up, I think, a world and these big big picture questions. Right. But I'm I, you know, I'm not detracting from him at all in that, but I am saying he the man can't write action. And again, antiquated, I brought it up at the beginning, laser tubes, really bad name for your guns. Really stupid. It looks like he's got a. La- it makes me think of a laser pointer in right. his hand, <laughs> and a little like little antenna probe sticks out of the end, and it kind of. Oh my pew, goodness! Pew. Look at this. Yeah, I'll burn your retina. It's super. <laughs> so, yes. so he. So stop closing your eyes. We, we, we get to the whole scene with our stinger here. He's sitting in his car. He's reading Luba Luft. Yep. Right. Uh, which again, Luba Luft. That's that's your that's your opera singer's name. Right. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> Was, was that the singer? Was that the name of the singer in the Fifth Element? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, right, right. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, he blows his brains out with a thirty-eight Magnum, and then yeah, he goes off to Luba Luff. So chapter nine. Where, and I love it how he's just got the dead android bleeding all over his car. Doesn't care. Just drives away. And that's again, uh, he he drops plot points sometimes where you don't really know what ends up happening to some mm-hmm. of this stuff. Like, what did he do with the body? I don't know. There's times that no, it's not in the car anymore. But I, I guess we think he dumped it. I don't no, know. it's in the car because they they. No, it is. But eventually, Rachel yeah. Rachel will eventually be riding in this car with him, and it's not. Yeah, there. no. There's so. there, there's a note after the whole Luba Luff thing where they're like, "Yeah, the dead body's in my car. Can you get some guys to go clean that?" Oh, do they? <laughs> okay, yeah, something like that. So anyway, we're at the opera. Mozart's the magic flute, which I actually really enjoyed this section of him sitting there really watching like the magic flute. Yep, I I like this as well. Mostly because I really like the magic flute. Uh huh. I, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not an opera guy. That's one of the few that I actually understand and know. <laughs> but I, but I like how he thinks about Mozart's early death and how everything falls to death and entropy. Yes. But, but again, I feel like our main character here is sitting around contemplating death and empathy, yet is never connecting with that. And who is right. this? And, you know what and, I'm and saying? Who is this cop who is the original hipster going? Well, I have all these old recordings of the old. Uh, 
of the, of the pre-war days. You you may not know them. This is Mozart. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's true. It's true. Um, but yeah, like our main character here is is a lot of times mulling over these big weighty ideas like death and entropy and. Right. Art. But 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 it's not sinking in with him, you know. True. I, I, True. He, he is not, you know. Um, no, but anyway, he, it does feel like he's thinking about them because he thinks he's supposed to be thinking about yeah. them. Yeah. Well, and he thinks he's helping entropy along, especially when it comes to these Andes. So we get to a break in rehearsal here. He climbs into the back. He climbs into the back of the theater and goes. To I the love this scene. Room. Yeah. Right. Because she thinks he's a sexual deviant, which he <laughs> totally <laughs> comes off as. Which if. Again, <laughs> Again, I hate to re- I hate Story to re- my life. How different is this? I hate to keep no, referencing referencing, you know, the Ridley Scott movie here, but how different is this from the yeah. stripper scene? Right. To right. This? And I couldn't not get those images out of my head. Exactly. Like Luba Luft, even though she was an opera singer, was constantly wearing the see-through plastic with the snake. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't stop. And I'm like, I can't get that out of my head, but that is what is in my head. Um, so yeah, so he starts running her through these questions, the disc falls off. She calls somebody, calls him a sexual But if deviant. you were to read this chapter without having read any of the other book, you would think that Deckard is some sort of crazy person. True. The way he approaches her, the things he says to her, you know, I mean, he he is coming off, like she says, as a sexual ge- deviant, which I think is what is intended to happen, is that he is the human who is killing people creatures who don't have empathy, yet here we have an android who is an opera singer and loves art and is doing everything that is classically human, and he is terminating her for not being human. Correct. Yeah. He even makes a comment about, you know, how, whoa, she must have been designed very well because her voice is phenomenal. Yeah, she's really good. She's creating fabulous art. Yes, she's she's creating (laughs) fabulous art. She's too good. You will die. But but she's not the correct race. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a comment on all of that. Yeah. Yeah, going on here. Yes, definitely. And so we get in this. Yeah, okay. Yep. We get this whole weird telephone call, a couple telephone calls from her dressing room. All of a sudden, Officer Crams shows up. (laughs) What what a great name. I love Officer Crams. I know all the bounty hunters around here, and yeah, I don't know yeah. you. Yeah, uh, I've been on the yeah. beat for twenty years, <laughs> right? But yeah, and so now this is, is and now he gets ta- and now he gets arrested, and he's like, "Fine, we'll figure this out when we get to the station." Right. He gets drug out of there, right. and he's like, "Dude, you're going the wrong way. The station's the station's the other way." I don't know what the hell you're talking about. We haven't used that station in forever, and he go- keeps going. Right. And he, this, th- I didn't need this. You know what? I this for me. Completely yeah. took me out of the story because I'm like, it's too much. How are you in? How are you in one city where you have two police stations and that nobody don't know knows about, about this? And yeah. you, you, like, you would have bumped into each other at some point. This yeah. is where the movie then ran me afoul because in the movie, right, it is played with that Deckard may be an android, and yes, and this part is it's played where, within here. Too. It is played within here, uh, definitely saying, right that, here. That, and that's the it, it right one here. thing I know about yes. the movie. Yeah, right. I, I think the director admitted it, like in an interview at the end. We'll, we'll get into yeah, we'll, we'll get, get into it. The movie. We'll get into that. Yeah, then, but, but but no, and and this is the scene where he's interviewing Luba Luft, and she makes the comment about, well, maybe you're an android because you don't right. seem to have empathy for androids. Because <laughs> right. that's one of the points about androids is androids don't have empathy for androids. Yeah. So maybe you're an android because you don't have empathy. For right. Then he's like, "No, wait." 
Right. What? Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, even exactly. when, yeah, and when he's taken back to the station, he makes a phone call to his wife. But it's another lady. But yeah. it's another lady. Yeah. I am totally going with. Oh my god! Quite the twist. He is an android. I'm going the. I was like, how is this? Is he working for some like? I I went like almost alias with this, where you know. Uh, they're thinking where he's thinking that he's working for the correct. He's working for the government. He's working for the good company, but right. he's actually working for the bad. So company. tell me, tell me, guys, what did I miss? Because in this part, that I never found the explanation. Maybe I missed it. I never found the explanation. Why does he call home and his wife is not his wife? Is yeah, it does, because, the, does the does the phone just go to a different? Yeah, correct. Dispatch? There's a there's a quick okay. there's a quick drop in there about how. All outgoing calls in the building come back to the building. Okay, okay, right. that's what oh. happened there. Okay. Because by the end of the say, book, dude, I'm going, dude, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I I got it. There, there is the quick drop yeah. about oh, okay. all, all outgoing calls come back right. to the building. Right. There is no So basically, outgoing. what ends up happening is this entire hall, uh, or Hall of Justice Part 2, uh, is all Andes. Yeah. They are all androids. Undetected. Undetected, yep. Running their own police station. Right. In <laughs> which, the same city. It happens well, all with, the time. Which again, <laughs> I think... All the time. Third one this week. Yeah. Which again, <laughs> if you were to watch Blade Runner, you would see how this would work because it's such a dystopian future that you would see like, okay, everything has fallen to crap. Nobody really knows what's going on in that building or that building. There's not much oversight. True. But he has not set this world up enough no. yeah. where you know what's really going on. Yeah, I, I, you, you're forced to either accept it or not I what, thought, how this is working. And going into this you know. and going into where we go into the sergeant or whatever he is. Um, Garland's. <laughs> where we go where we go into Garland's office. I'm reading this going, okay, is this where Gaff is coming from in the movie? Mm-hmm. You know, is this the Edward James Almost character from the movie that keeps doing the origami? Because yeah. he never really seems to fit into the movie other than he keeps showing up every now and then with an origami. He was such a good principal in every movie he ever played. I actually and that is one of the things one of the few t- one of the few random episodes of Battlestar that I've seen, I liked him as Enema. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who? Anima? Adama. Adama? What? Edward Admiral James Adama? Gave you yes. An Adama. Adama. Uh, <laughs> he was Adama in the 70s version. Oh, oh okay. No, he's <laughs> no it was not Adama. No, it was not. That is not a true Shut up. Shut up. I had him. I had the young guy. I had him right What's there. Your name? <laughs> Adama. But, like, also, why would they change it? <laughs> I. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't. I was mispronouncing it. I'm sorry. I know, you're fine. Uh, no, I, I, I totally thought this was going to be where they were going to get the basis for the Edward James Almost character, Gaff, in yeah. the movie. Okay. And so I kept waiting for this. And then the way this turned out, I'm like, oh, my God, what, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. I, and I guess, I guess again, I don't know what to say, whether you should watch the movie first or not, because I don't, then it will throw you. Yeah, these parts do throw you, because I, I was mm-hmm. thinking the same thing. But anyway, uh, they're going to test all, everybody's going to test each other, find out who's androids, who's not androids. And they have a different... That's a good idea. Well, yeah, and which not, they should do. And not only are we in a police headquarters that the other police headquarters doesn't know about, yeah. we're... We have bounty hunters who don't know about the other bounty hunters and use a different test to determine whether or not the androids are androids. Yeah. I love, by the end of all this, I love that we end up with uh, uh, Resh uh, is, is worried that he is an android. And and right. and, and yeah. so so is Deckard in a way, and so that we're kind of left at by the end of chapter eleven with in a, in a lot of well, the, especially once Resh snakes are in the uh, 
Just shoots her in the elevator. Yeah, yeah. Which, which, by the way, don't ever look the the uh, the the. Oh yeah. The artwork <laughs> that he gives her. So I don't even know what this really means, but he he gives her this book, right, uh, with paintings by Edward Munch, right, right. Um, who who painted the famous painting The Scream. But he says that the painting that she likes is called what is it? Uh, the um, Puberty? Puberty, yes. Yeah. Which, don't look it up. No, <laughs> no, and, and, and I'm taking that from you, Bob. You told me. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is a, a nude painting of like a 12-year-old girl. It's very odd. Um, and I don't really know what it's supposed I mean, to mean. And, you know, PKID didn't know that like Google was going to be a thing. And that like, oh, well, I guess, what were they talking makes about? Me, it makes me question what he is trying to say with that. Yeah, I, uh, you know, Hey, listener, listeners, know, if you know, man. let us know. Because she's uh, an android and she never went through puberty. Oh, okay. She's an android and she never had that. Maybe. But don't bring up a creepy painting like that. Or, oh, no. uh, you know, but <laughs> see, and see, I took this and I looked at the painting and went, oh, God. And then went, <laughs> and then looking at it, you know, maybe giving Dick a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt than he was going for here. But yeah. the reason she looks at it wistfully is maybe she's one of those with implanted memories, but she understands that she's an android. She's so never been a girl. Her girl, her memories of being a girl aren't really True. hers. Really, and you, the, yeah, and these, I mean, you could you could go down the rabbit right. hole so far. Okay, I uh, get and, and a lot of this. Like I'm really feeling the modern um, Battlestar Galactica here. Okay, I'm feeling the influence from oh. Dick. Really? Yeah. Okay. For sure. Okay, right. so we go through this entire aspect here where we're looking at paintings, we're talking about <laughs> puberty, we're looking at, you know, was she really was she really a little girl at any point? Exactly. Even though she's got memories. They start bringing her down in the elevator. This is where... They shoot her in the elevator. This, Somebody explain this to me. Why'd they shoot her in because the elevator? Because she starts, she starts talking about the know. fact that Reich, that Reich is an android. Oh. She calls Reich an android. He gets pissed. He shoots her right there. Okay. All right. Again, why doesn't Deckard go, what? Well, I guess he's she's an android, so who cares? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, Deckard administers the test. Uh, Resh is a human, so I guess that worry is off our mind as a bunch of readers. And then um, we get to this weird conversation where Resh talks about having sex with androids. Yeah. You're so eventually going to bang her, dude. So that's the thing. Sex with androids. Happens, I guess, especially on Mars. So we're in chapter and 13. Once you, and once you have sex, there's no turning back for whatever reason. Yeah. What? Android STDs, I think is what it is. <laughs> They've evolved beyond our human capacity. They, uh, keeping our bodies. <laughs> are they viruses? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love this. Uh, chapter 13, Isidore flies home because he's all excited. He spent two weeks' salary on bean curd. And wine. <laughs> and wine for a little Pris. Um, and I love just how giddy he is to impress her. And Pris just, who cares? Like, right. she's just blank facing but him. But this is it. This is what uh, ingratiates John to you. Look at He's so cute. Yes. yes. He, he saved up. He thought about it. He planned it out. He wants to spend time with her. He's a human. Right. The person in this book that is being pawned off as the chicken head or damaged individual right. is, I feel, the person who is really the only human outlet in this Yes, in this book. The person with the best human qualities is the least respected and or uh, recognized of society. Ooh, well, yeah. and she finally, she eats a slice of peach, which I believe has got to be a euphemism for something. And 
all of a sudden there's a knock on the, we we get this explanation of pre-colonial fiction and how she likes to read pre-colonial fiction which yeah. now becomes Isadora's all. new thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we're we're talked about how it, um her love yeah, her love for free uh pre pre space travel sci-fi, so I guess she likes <laughs> Philip K. Dix is a little little inception like where like they they struggle or they smuggle books to Mars for profit, which I think is we never know what life like is like on Mars, but I feel like it's also dystopian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever's going on at Mars, you've got androids trying to escape it. You're smuggling books to Mars. Uh, yeah, if, whatever's if there, going if on there at is Mars. One is thing, okay. If there is one thing that was done well with yeah. the like, you know, his minimalistic way of describing things, it was that you know the grass is always greener. Yeah, you know they, they've got all these you know android. Um, butlers and or slaves. I shouldn't even call them butlers. Yeah. They have these android slaves, but you know what? It's it's just it's hinted upon so strongly. Right. That life on Earth stinks. Life on Mars also stinks. Also stinks. And I think too, again, this is Dick commenting on slavery too. Uh, right. You know, the s- slaves being, s- you know, the pre-Civil War slaves in the United States being snuck reading material or being taught to read and being taught to, you know, do all these other things to go with the fact that they're really human. Right, right, right. And so we go into this. She talks about this. He's like, hey, that's the way I can get in with her is reading some of this fiction. And then all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. Right. Um, I actually got kind of like warning alarm bells going off in a lot of these next following chapters with with Roy and Imigard showing up. I kind of thought Roy was going to end up killing John. Out of all the dialogue, this was the most... Tension. Yeah, most, well, yes. I was like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? Yeah. I, f- I started to think, like, no, please don't kill John. He's yep. not going to, you know. Yeah, he's the only guy I, I really, I'm really caring about. And of mm. course, and of course, again, we've been discussing it through here. All of a sudden, this is opening the door, and Rudger Hauer is standing there with his weird eyes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, and that's who I saw. Again, maybe I'm reading tension but now he's into got a the wife. scene. I'm reading the tension into the scene because that's who I'm, I'm picturing. Exactly. Yeah. But now he's got a wife. Name yeah. Ermagerd. 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 Endridge. So then we have this whole kind of uh, allusion to suffering from schizophrenia and a shared delusion that happens, right? Like Pris is in Isidore's uh, apartment and tells Isidore that they all escape from a mental institution on the East Coast. And yeah, this weird like shared, backstory, which I don't know why he's giving to a guy who's obviously going to accept probably any story they give him. Maybe True. this is just his story he's been True. giving. Doesn't really even know John's a, a chicken head. Well, I, 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 don't I, I, I had a moment where I believed him. Yeah, I, I where, did too. Where I, I, which had, I thought, what a twist! Yeah, I had the moment where <laughs> I believed him. Went, at all. Oh my god. Because there's been this whole co- there's been this whole question with Deckard throughout the entire thing of have you ever retired a human by mistake and oh my god are they really human right how do you really know and which would have been they're not like point. the alien androids where like they spew milk it I was, mean, yeah they it, do bleed and look it would have been a wonderful twist is that he's going around retiring humans that aren't registering. Uh, on his tests, yeah, you know, uh, uh, it and again, this goes back neat. to the whole Alan turning, you know, looking at computers. Also, you know, the state of mental health at right. this time in the United States in the 1960s, where we're still, you know, locking people in like Shutter Islands, and right? 
But then we have a, I mean, we're back to Deckard and probably a part of that Luke obviously just loved. Uh, Deckard stops at a dealership on the way home and buys a goat. You know, I'm not surprised at this point. <laughs> um, um, and his wife, Iran, is, by the way, can I just say, I hate that his wife's Iran. name is Iran. Yeah. Iran. Uh, I, I tried to, yeah, I tried to pronounce it any other way in my head. Yeah. No, Aaron. okay. Iran. Yeah, yeah. I, Aaron. I, I went with, I, I went with her. You know, Iran as well. Yeah. Iran. It's hard not to. It's, uh, yeah. I pictured her Middle Eastern. Oh, did you? Really? <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> now, why would you do such a yeah. thing? <laughs> her name was Germany. <laughs> she wore layered hose yeah. the entire time. <laughs> uh, but I love that she's overjoyed with this purchase, or with the, the purchase of this uh, sheep. Um, and they goat. Give, or goat, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh and they, what is it? And they can finally admit that their sheep is fake. Like yes. now, now all the skeletons can come out of the closet. And We've got a fake sheep. And Decker, our son's been gay the whole time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and Deck, De- but Decker doesn't want this. Decker is adamant against you know admitting that the old sheep was fake. Right. Yeah. We got to keep up this appearance, right? Um, she wants to immediately though go downstairs and give thanks to Mercer and share her feelings with everybody else. This is the first time that we get this uh, look at that Mercerism mm-hmm. uh, is connected to the world. Like anybody who is a Mercerite, well, it's it's, uh, a, universal, it's, a, uni- it's a universal world religion at this point. Yeah, right. But if you, something good happens to you and you go grab the handles and share it over the. Mercer yes. box, everybody gets part of your happiness. Isn't because that, that what happens on that, Sunday morning TV? Yeah, well, in a because way. Because that yes. shows you have oh, yes. won the lottery, I give glory to God. Uh, and everybody partakes of that. Right. Thank, you, right. Je- thank you, Jesus, for letting me score this touchdown. Yes. Yeah, it, that, that is what the... But that fumble, you didn't cause that. <laughs> well, <True>. and <laughs> this whole, in order to have empathy, we have to go through these motions. If something good happens to you, you get in your Mercer box and you share it because something bad happened to somebody else. So you could bring them up and that shows that you have empathy, which means you're really human. No, you're going through the motions. Right. Right. And I don't know if this is intentional or not, but for me, uh, uh, Iran is so uh, adamant about going down and giving thanks to Mercer that I actually stopped trusting her because of what happened in that other you, you, you know, you know where they called her and she wasn't on the phone, and all of a sudden she goes home and she's all of a sudden really weird and up mm-hmm. and like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love that you bought a goat. Let's go down immediately right. and give thanks to. Me. I'm like, okay, this is a trap or something. Iran's got something going. Well, they on. go they, her out with another model. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. I thought and they go, and they go down to give thanks to Mercer, and she logs on. He gets the call from Brian going, um, you still have work to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> Finish this now, otherwise they're going to get away. I mean, this is all happening very rapidly. Like, so this, night. this is all one yeah, night. One yeah, night. So you got to go. At, uh, so Rick gets on the empathy box and has the and this. I this lost me. Are are we talking about what he t- calls Rachel? This Obi Wan Kenobi moment when he when Rick gets on the empathy box completely oh. lost me. Yeah. Because the entire time we've gotten this empathy box is you're with the guy and you're climbing up the hill and then he logs into the empathy box and all of a sudden Obi Wan Kenobi is there talking to him. I I don't know what this. Yeah. Yeah. I, He's now transcended the box into another realm of box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boxception. He is being directly spoken yeah. to. But this is I feel where the book starts taking a really very odd trajectory. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, everything yeah, starts yeah, to this change. Is where the book takes a turn. Yeah. 
<laughs> but, Sorry, guys. But, but, yeah, but it, it really does because then he calls Rachel after his experience. He goes up to the rooftop, right, calls Rachel, and then oddly suggests that they have sex. <laughs> well, like, I'm going to go after I'm going to go after the androids yeah. unless you come down here and then we'll go get a hotel room. So at this point I'm not really following always what exactly I think is. he's still trying to figure out whether or not he's an android. And he's thinking how oh, can I test my boundaries of knowing whether I'm an android or a human? Well, I got an idea. And yeah. see, and okay. I, yeah. yeah, I agree with you there and then it speaks to the Okay, well, maybe I really don't have empathy for human beings. Let's again, like you said, let's see how far I can take this. Right? right. Yeah. What, what can I do that I don't feel guilty for? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He's. I think he's starting to question again why he's uh, retiring Andes and his feelings about Andes. Right. Right. And All I understand kind of what stuff. Dick's doing here, but can we stop calling these poop sheets, please? Uh, yeah, no they, yeah, that is a really antiquated term. Yeah, I, I don't like that either. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that it's antiquated. An, antiqu- an antiquated term. I, I think it's just like a bad term that is old. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. It's, it's not. It's not yeah. an antiquated term. It's just a bad term. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel maybe it would have been, been cool in the 1930s with the like, hey, uh, you know, we're gonna put that on your poop sheet. You know, oh, I, don't do that. Yeah, but yeah, in modern sensibilities, it's not. Mom, sorry, they put yeah. some on my poop sheet. And so Rachel comes into the hotel room. He goes, gets the hotel room. Rachel comes into the hotel room here in a bra, short shorts, <laughs> and a fur coat. Yeah, I mean, she is with a, looking for it. with a bottle of bourbon. Yep. This is where we get the. This is where we get the. Uh, uh, the title of the book. I, as Deckard's going here, he is wondering in the hotel if androids dream. You know, so this is where we're getting close to the mm-hmm. title of the book. He wonders if they ah, dream. It's close. Not the Very close, not but not quite, either. right? Um, and there, we're not so, okay, roll credits this, yet. This whole, this whole conversation here, they sit on the bed and talk. And then he stands up. And then she stands up. And then they sit back down on the bed and talk. Uh, yeah, geez, and I have a sudden she, geez, I And then all of a sudden she just takes her clo- she just takes her clothes off except for her panties, gets into bed, rolls around for a little bit. He sits on the bed, takes rolls her rolls <laughs> Okay, but but can I just highlight the fact I have written in my notes on page 164 of the version I have he does a really weird description of her body. Like, this makes no sense to me. He's like, I'll just start kind of from the middle, but it's all bizarre if you want to read it. It's like it's very yes, the entire uh, book. Rachel rested very slightly on the forepart of her feet and her arms as they hung, bent at the joint, the stance. He reflected <laughs> of a wary hunter of perhaps the Cro-Magnon persuasion. The race of tall hunters, he said to himself. No excess flesh, a flat belly, small behind, smaller bosom. Rachel had been molded in the Celtic type of build, anachronistic and attractive. Like, and it just goes on. Like, like she had neutral non-sexual qualities. Like... It is the I'm, most unattractive. I'm, I'm so turned on. She bent at the joint. So when you Swoon. when you describe a bedroom scene and you bring the word Cro-Magnon, yeah, into please, it. <laughs> please no, <laughs> don't ever. She's analyzing her body like an android would. Yes. Very objective uh, details. Is he really turned on by any of that? No. I love that. And I, just but I that. will I say, it. yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. That is why it's odd. That's yeah. a good. It's de- weird because we would be like. 
Why are you focusing on that? On it's like he's just scanning the it. bend of her joint. Right. The, her well, feet. I mean, there are some hot elbows. For oh, this, and she, for, she bent right at the joint. I, whoa, I, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I feel that you've <laughs> said something actually really good right there, Ted. That yeah, this is this would again lend it because let's just jump to the end. Are are we ever supposed to think, or are we supposed to take away? Is there still the possibility that Deckard is an android? Yeah, it's left open. It's left Harrison open. Harrison Ford. I mean, the yeah, movie yeah, obviously the that, that, That's does. the one thing I know about the movie. The is movie like, it's does. Just like, what do you but think? I never thought that the book really left that open. But he is never tested, right? He never and gets the, tested. He never, he, he never gets tested and he never really shows empathy. No. And again, and like you said, he objectionably just... Describes her. Describes Jumping her. back yeah. to the movie here, that objective description that he just did in the book here. Yeah. Tell me that's not Sean Young. <laughs> it's true. It is. It is. Ray they Finkel? nail her. Yeah. Ray, Ray Finkel. Yeah. Ray Finkel. Oh my god. Finkel and Einhorn. Einhorn and Finkel. Oh my god. That 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 takes this book to a whole other. Level. Oh, this is horrible. Uh, but we do find so, out yeah. in this boot so she, scene that she argues that she's oh, drunk no. after two Don't drinks. Don't call this yeah. a boot. It is a boot. Uh, scene. It's a boot it's scene. It's an Android boot scene. Android oh. boot scene. Uh, Rachel, we find. Actually, Actually, this wouldn't be a boot scene because I would actually say this is a panty scene because of the whole weird description of her getting in bed with her panties on, rolling around for a while, then he takes her panties off and like snaps them across the room. Yeah, yeah. It's a noirish. It's a, yes. definitely a noirish kind of thing. But yes, it's like it's like you, it's like you follow the underwear with the camera as it lands on the carpet and then you pan up to the doorway. True. Hey, but hey, I'm real glad you took these off. Fling. But, what but are you it, doing, dude? But again, what never works with this scene is by this, by this point, I am coasting on the fact that Deckard is Harrison Ford in my mind. <laughs> right. But if you have been reading this got, book I've, I've without got, without Harrison Ford in your mind, you are seeing this dweeb who's been bumbling around this entire time worrying about ostriches and owls right. and getting everything wrong and just musing about life and death while he's killing everything right. and all of a sudden you're, there's no romantic connection no. here and, and, this, and this is where we get the description though this is where we get the fact that Rachel knows more than she tells. Yeah. Because this is the time where Rachel actually talks about the fact that Pris is the same model as she is. Yeah, this is where so we need, when we he need has to So yeah. when he has to retire Pris, he'll actually be shooting her. So if you come to bed, and she tells him, if we do this, if we have the android sex, I will retire Pris for you. Right, yeah. And then we have this nice happy scene in the morning where she's showering and she's happy after their boot scene. And right. It's like this kind of like weird normal couple after having sex. But then we find out that androids only live about four years. Mm-hmm. So she, th- th- their, their life scale is extremely short, you know. Um, but then Rachel drops a bomb after all this. She says she does this all the time. She constantly sleeps with bounty hunters to stop them from killing. Right, right after Rick says, "If I was married, that I'd seems marry a little you. counterintuitive." <laughs> because you're only four years old, but I sleep with no, people all the time. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> going, I'm going to sleep with you to stop you from killing people or androids. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you right afterwards. No, I, I, I did it with Raish. 
She know. flat out comes out and goes, yeah, I did it with Reich. That's why he's the weird way. But that backfired because now he hates androids even more. Right, right. Uh, clearly, is, clearly yeah. that would never happen. Right. I feel like he's tr- the statement he's trying to make about empathy is overriding some common sense in some of the narrative. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it is what's going on, you know. Um, in the end, uh, they can't kill her, uh, so they just drive. <laughs> and she smokes. Like, like you know, again, just an awkward post post coital conversation going. And on she keeps she keeps turning on the radio, and he keeps shutting it off. <laughs> we get this whole drop again of, oh yeah, that's right, Buster Friendly is going to make some big announcement. Yep, yeah, because we're on to chapter eighteen. We're back to Isidore. Uh, he brings up a TV. Uh, the androids all start watching Buster Friendly again. The benign crap that happens by the end of this book, uh, but he's got a huge announcement to make, which is what. Mercer is fake. Mercer is fake. It was it was it was all faked at a Hollywood studio. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Like the moon landing? Yeah. Like the moon Mercer's landing. Mercer's an old homeless guy. Yeah, it was a drunk washed up yeah. Hollywood actor that is actually Mercer. Yes. Which again, we're coming off the 60s, we're coming off the moon landings, we're coming off JFK, we're coming off all of these conspiracy theories that are right. going through that he's using here. Right. We have this whole thing with Isidore, uh, well, okay, I guess I think what sometimes, though, is being said here, we're starting to get, I don't know where Philip K. Dick stands on his ideas of religion. In fact, I I would get into, in 1974, just a few years after writing this book, he has what he considers a religious experience, uh, where, and it's very bizarre, you should look it up, listeners, um, but where he basically talks about this all-encompassing pink in the sky. Uh, just so we, you know, Philip K. Dick used me- methamphetamines uh, fairly heavily. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he was recovering from dental dental surgery when he said he was suddenly touched by the divine. The doorbell rang, he says, and he opened the door, and he was stunned to see what he described as a girl with black, black hair and large eyes. That was very lovely and intense. And he has this, Christ- she had a Christian fish symbol hanging around her neck. And it goes on. It's just... I, I, like some, the, I, I like the description of black, black hair and large eyes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's very bizarre. Kitty Ara visited? Yeah, I guess so. It's, well, that's an anime girl. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very bizarre, uh, a lot of this stuff. So I don't know where his stance on religion is and spirituality, but I do believe that, at least for this novel, what he is kind of saying is that even though mercerism is false, it is creating a positive within the society. Yes. You know, uh, it yes. is kind of get his to this take whole, on it. You know, Isidore's in shock here. He's breaking stuff in the apartment. Yeah. Because everything's falling away. And then he catches a spider. Right. And this gets all weird because Pris takes it, starts pulling off the legs. Cutting. Oh, cutting cutting off, off the legs. Cutting them off. Cutting them off. Empathy, no. And I just yeah. see Which her she sitting at, like, the kitchen island. Like, don't with, kill it. Don't kill right. it. And he's like, don't, don't hurt it. And she's just, like, chopping legs off going, see, it's still moving. Which I think is odd because you have Philip K. Dick throwing a monkey wrench into kind of his thesis. Not really, but he has been trying to create empathy with the the androids in a in a way right where Polakov was just a worker and he gets killed in some ways and Luba Luft is this artist right, and that the, gets killed and, and Rachel is this kind of almost searching for love and then all of a sudden you get cut off where Rachel up oh, nope she really is a cold cold android just right. using you oh Pris is like just em- not no empathy cutting legs off of spiders but in a weird you know, way too the androids actually 
the only they're they have a good camaraderie, which is kind of yeah. bizarre. They're like a team. The yeah. only team we have in the book, right? right? right. Even even when Deckard <laughs> hangs out with Resh, it's like uh, they're not friends. No, no. They Every connect. human, no human in this book no. is connected. No, but the Android including Deckard to his wife, right. there's yeah. no connection right. there whatsoever. He even says that she's like no use to him. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, right. Very right. again, yeah. <laughs> objective way of looking at your wife. <laughs> <laughs> you have no use to me. Oh, well, a couple of us in this room may have been through that. I bought a goat. Yeah, I'll be on the roof till ten. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to don't interrupt me <laughs> to jump into the climax here, right? Uh, well, well, if we want to call it the one that should not. Been. Yes, the bounty hunter has entered the building. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what has been set up is that Pris looks exactly like Rachel. They are the same. They're the same model. Same model. And so <laughs> Rachel pretty much tells Deckard, "You're not. You're going to struggle with killing Pris." Because she looks like me, yeah. and you just bang me. Right. right. And now he's dropped her off on a roof somewhere. Nothing, right. yeah, and he drops her off on a roof. We never, this struggle never comes to fruition. Like, no. nothing that's set up happens here. This whole climax. That's chapter, because we have Mercer Ex Machina. Yeah. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we've got, yeah, we've got uh, things being set up in the apartment to counter potential technology. Yes. Isidore goes down, Isidore goes down to, you know, oh, go stop him. Right. Right. And then we just get like this weird kitchen doorway scene. Yeah, in my notes I actually write I said I'm actually floored by the swiftness and lack of feeling in this right. chapter. Yeah. I thought there would be more emotional struggle from Deckard. It's almost clinical in its descriptions. Not we have Isidore in the well, courtyard and all of a sudden there's a flashlight. Hi, I'm Rick Deckard. Like introduces himself by name. Yeah. Like cuz we didn't know it was you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Rick Deckard. I'm a bounty hunter. I work for the San Francisco Police Department. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Isidore lets the spider free in the courtyard, Rick doesn't shoot him immediately because he let the spider free and then all of a sudden begs him, you know, starts beating him against the wall. It's like, what apartment are they in? Yeah, right. What's in the box? So it's just a bizarre uh, anticlimactic climax and I guess maybe that's not the complete climax because then we have to have the kind of existential, spiritual, spiritual uh, climax. Uh, climax at the end. Decker just casually tells uh, Isidore to stay in a different apartment. They clean everything up. Um, it, again, a total, la a total lack of empathy for Isidore, mm -hmm. who is yes. just crushed by what what has just right. happened, and he, mm -hmm. he couldn't care less. And he willingly helps both sides just because he wants a friend, basically. He yeah. Wants, he yeah. wants somebody to connect with. Right, right. So in, in a world where there is nobody to connect and, with. Yeah. You know, and so all of a sudden we have this weird, like... Po like he's been working out a lot and the LSD and his fat is burned off and he hallucinates Mercer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 we got to throw, the, let's do this first thing first. It, it, Decker returns home to find out that Rachel has been to his apartment and thrown the goat off the roof. Screw yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and your goat. <laughs> We're not there yet. But uh, it says she, she, she'll kill something he loved, right? Because she, he killed what she loved. So, are we supposed to think she was in love or had feelings for who he is going to kill? I don't know. These dude. androids. No man. I don't, know, man. I don't know, dude. It gets way too meta, dude. Uh, all of a sudden, things get bizarre <laughs> yeah. at the end of this yeah. book. Yeah, so, yeah. At the end of the book. Well, yeah. I think so. I, I do, Luke. I'm going to defend let, that. Wait, let's does kill people first. Yeah. Let's kill people first. He hallucinates Mercer. Mercer says, "Hey, look behind you." Oh, okay. You want to go back to there? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. We need to kill yeah. the androids first before we're we get to the goat. We're having as much time as Dick did. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is. That's what we're saying. It was just he hallucinates Mercer. Hey, look behind you for Mercer X Machina here. Right. He turns around. Here comes Pris, like running at him, and he goes, oh, it's like the "Rachel, no, you're not." Bam. Rachel, yeah. She's uh, Pris is dead. But this is where everything becomes he that 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 
fantastical realism, or what is it? Magical realism. Magical realism. He walks up to the door, invents a stutter, oh my God, opens up the door. Right. Because she thinks he's Isidore because anybody who stutters has to be the same guy and they can't identify humans any more than we can identify androids. Right. Because it should be pointed out, Mercerism has just been proven to be false, but he is appearing in the real world to him as a ghost <laughs> yes. apparition. So, so, so... Yeah, that, of, that, that's cool. Happens yeah. every day. So, so all of, you know, I, I don't know. I, and then, Batty, then Roy Batty goes down like a... How rude! <laughs> I'm so upset with that. <laughs> I am so. There's no epic like rooftop fight. No, there scene. is no, no epic like anything. No. Roy Batty shoots no. at him, misses, and Deckard wheels around the corner, and blasts him. Yeah, right. no, it dead. is, yeah. and it is not exciting. Uh, again, uh, when we talk about the movie, I mean, this is where. All of this is getting fixed. I mean, you couldn't put this to film. No. Your, your, your audience would walk out going, wow, that was trash. You know, yes. you, you couldn't you couldn't do this. Great ideas have been spawned in here, but man alive. Uh, last two chapters, uh, Decker travels um, north to San Francisco. Well, okay, yeah, we threw the goat. We, we, we already threw, talked, we already about, talked about throwing the goat yeah. off the Yeah, yep. Yeah. So Decker travels north to San Francisco to the countryside, and this is where he is going to go through his own stigmata <laughs> yeah. of, like, I am going yeah. to walk the hill, be stoned, right? He gets out. He, oh, this is his vision quest. His vision quest, oh, which is... I'm going to go up the hill like... Mer maybe this will be like Mercer. And he's going right. up the hill and he imagines somebody throwing a rock at him. <laughs> this is where I feel like listeners who love this are going to be screaming as to what all this means. And this is where I feel that Philip K. Dick just doesn't really know what's going on. At this is a trip. This. Yeah. yeah, this is a trip, <laughs> yeah, okay. and and okay. and it is such a trip that people have posthumously thrown in whatever they think this is, and whatever you want this to mean True. is what this means. I get, I would agree with that. You know what I'm saying? And so you can look at this as being super in depth and super existential, or you can. See, this is the ravings of a lunatic. Mm -hmm. It can be whatever you want it to be. Because by these last two chapters, just the, the, the wheels are off the cart and we are just burning downhill. Yeah, we're and just, just whatever you want it to be. We're is going. What it is. We're going, man. We're Hold going, on. man. Yeah. And Deckard is still left pondering the same question. Oh, my God. Oh, and he has no answers. He, he no. thinks the toad is real, so it's like, oh, I had this transcendent experience and I found this real life toad. Oh, I must have found the answers. And he gets home and his wife's like, oh, it's fake. And then he's like, and oh, I bought fake oh, flies oh, for it. And yeah. it's Right. And, yeah, and this is weird. Oh yeah, known, and then, oh yeah. And this is this is Hunter S. Thompson when all of a sudden the gecko that Johnny Depp plays later in life bounces off the yeah. windshield. And and and, and I'm going <laughs> and I'm going crazy at the end of this book. I am like sitting there reading absolutely every line, going, "Okay, he puts it in a box. Mm -hmm. um, toads and donkeys are the most sacred to Mercer." Uh, like I'm trying to put all these pieces together yeah, I don't and know nothing why is working. I, yeah, no, I'm just struggling no. to try to find out. Decker just goes to bed. I mean, we end up in chapter 22 where he's putting a toad in a box and he's going to bed. Yeah, I mean, is what's going on. Um, and he brews a cup of black top coffee. Did, did, or did, Iran does. Did did anyone all of a sudden have the you know horrible lame? Because she just exclaims, "Yeah, it's electric," and she like tosses it on the table. And yeah. all I could think of in my head was. 
Boogie woogie woogie. No. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I guess I'd like to ask. Electric. I'd I'd like to ask you guys if we're looking at this as being some sort of character arc. He's gone through now this entire novel. He has killed all of the Andes, uh, you know, that he set out to do. But I guess I feel like there was a por- part in the book here where I thought he was going to develop or be taught the lesson of empathy. And I feel by the end of this, he's learned nothing. No, and that's sorry, why yeah. and that's why it leaves the question open is does he have empathy? Right. And so, is he is he human because he is he human? Or is he not human because he doesn't have empathy? Or is he a human without empathy, which makes the android question come into play of if the androids are less human than human? Yeah, right. And I what? feel I feel like if Decker is an android, I'm more comfortable with that because it explains so much more in the novel and it makes this ending seem correct. Like, he's just an android going home, total lack of empathy, goes back to his normal everyday right. existence with what, what he did. Uh, and, and, and so I, I feel like, for me, I've got to see Deckard as an android. I, you know, otherwise... And maybe, maybe not. Maybe then that's a commentary on humanity that a human could go home after the hard day of putting down a bunch of people. Maybe like and the Nazi death camp worker goes home to his wife and kids mm-hmm. and just continues with life as normal let and me, never has learned anything. Let me pose this question to you there, Bob. Yeah. Is anybody human in this aspect? Yeah, I don't know. Has anybody in this book... No, actually showed real empathy. Isidore. Isidore yeah. is the oh, John Isidore is yep. the only one who has but we are told that who, he is ruined. Who is the who is the chicken head who live, lives on the fringe? Right. By himself. By himself. Yes. Anybody that we have dealt with other than um John nobody show Bryant doesn't show empathy. No. Holden never shows empathy. Any of these people you know Reich, any of these other people are there any humans left? Except for the chicken, except for the irradiated chicken heads running around. In the oh yeah, Mars. You can see that. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Everybody on Earth besides the chicken heads. Are, and here's are just adverse. a list to make us go through our. I emotions. like that. I like that. I do like that. Well, we've reached the end. We have reached the end of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So let's go around and get our final thoughts. Ted, yes. uh, why don't you give us your final thoughts? And would you recommend the book? Yes, I'm conflicted about uh, Philip K. Dick's writing style. But needless to say, I would strongly recommend the book for what I consider to be uh, bigger ideas that force you to think, which unfortunately is something I cannot escape as a lover of literature. So, prose-wise is the greatest no, uh, but when you start to consider like the idea of empathy and how that pervades humanity or and sometimes does not uh it still applies very much to today how can somebody just randomly murder other human beings uh, especially kids in a school how can somebody go to war and just slaughter other human beings uh you either force yourself to abandon empathy altogether or you never had it in the first place um and that scares us as human beings because we like to feel connected we like to feel that other people care about us we like to think that that's a measure of somehow like good a good person um so i think it's it's haunting it it haunts you a little bit to think okay yeah we can go there with robots but then when we reflect on ourselves our society not only values totally in unimportant things but we never seem to learn from what we screw up in the first place so i I like it i love that aspect of it i just use that word um i strongly recommend 
it may not be the the wild action ride people want, but science fiction to me has always been something that made me think about the future, made me think about possibilities. Um, so I think for that, I, I give Philip K. Dick some credit for for at least uh, going for it, going for that theme, making it into a story um, that's been translated into better movies, which I hope we can uh, discuss going forward. So I kick it over to Klob for his recommendation. I say my piece. Hey, kids. It's your old Uncle Klob here. Do androids dream of electric sheep? I... I love Philip K. Dick. I've read everything by Philip K. Dick that I could ever be able to get my hands on. I've actually taught courses purely on Dick. <laughs> That's a lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there. I've actually, I actually have taught science fiction courses where we just simply went through the Philip K. Dick catalog. I love his take on society. I love his take on who we are as human beings and what actually does make us human beings. You know, are, is it empathy? Is it the desire to progress? Is it love? Is it genetics? Uh, do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, I think, really speaks to a lot of these different themes and really inspired a lot of what we think of when we think of science fiction. I mean, he was one of the ones that began, really began this genre for modern science fiction and how many of his themes go through things like what I talked about in Tavern Talk, go, you know, going through Star Trek The Next Generation, where we have all these things with, is data really human? That directly goes back to here. Um, these ideas of, are our fellow human beings really human? And something that we deal with a lot, you know, dealing with the different races, dealing with the different mental states, dealing with the different cultures that we have on the earth. And where are we actually really able gonna, going to be able to go here? And so I always, I will always strongly recommend anything by Philip K. Dick. I will strongly recommend Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep because of the purveying themes that we need to understand where we haven't understood how to react to our fellow human beings, to our fellow creatures on the planet. And I'm saying this as somebody who is a hardcore omnivore, who is a, I'm, I'm a hunter, I'm a fisher, I'm also a conservationist, uh, to go through, you know, those different aspects of renew and replace and everything. But we have to understand how we are all part of the same cycle. And I think Philip K. Dick really speaks to a lot of this and a lot of his work. And so, of course, as I said earlier, anything by Philip K. Dick, I strongly recommend. You may find yourself having to power through certain sections. It is worth the power through. It is worth the power through for the overall arc, the overall story, the overall really look at who we are as humans and look at our humanity. That being way too serious there, Luke, how are you feeling, young man? PKD, Philip K. Dick. <laughs> I, man, I, I had a real tough time getting through this book. And I, and I should pr mm, choose how I phrase this next sentence carefully uh, because uh, there are two. All opinions are just fine. No, well, no, no. because this can be, uh, uh, I have two English teachers at the table here with me. Oh. This seems like the garbage that was just shoved down my throat when I was in English class in high school. Oh, I'm going to take you out back and beat you. <laughs> <laughs> I will go on record here as saying that I understand exactly what you're saying because it wasn't expressed and it wasn't taught correctly. Okay. 
Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a very it's a short book, a novella. Is that what we're calling this? Mm, no. no, short novel. Short, short novel. novel. It's a short novel. I man, I felt like I was moving a ton of rock to get to an ounce of gold here. Mm. I you know and and, and really uh, this is coming from somebody who I've never seen Blade Runner. I've. I appreciate what this book is. I appreciate what this book is and what it has done for modern pop culture and, you know, Battle Battlestar Galactica, I keep talking about it, is, man, just torn from the pages of this book. But it did it so much better. I, I wouldn't I would not recommend this book at all to anybody ever. I unless you're real. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I didn't have any fun reading this. I'd rather read Dragonlance. <laughs> <laughs> I am not spicy potato. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Baltic. I'm not. I just know what you're saying. Away the hammer of Keras. Give him the hammer. I, I, I want to have fun when I'm reading. Right. I didn't. I didn't have fun reading this. I suffered through this book for this podcast. I shut down towards the end of this podcast because I was sick of being negative. Um, <laughs> I feel no empathy for you. That's okay. That's okay. I, 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 and, and again, I, will, I, I appreciate what this book has done. I appreciate what Philip K. Dick has done for modern pop culture sci-fi. But no. Just leave it where it is. And don't read it. <laughs> Bob. Right. I, I, I'd like to ar be the arbiter of kind of being in the middle, maybe, in some ways. Uh, I mean, Philip K. Dick uh, is a novel, uh, you know, or the and Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is a novel from the 60s, uh, and, and it carries with it some of that 60s baggage, you know. I mean, whether you're reading the Foundation trilogy, I mean, there's a lot of Asimov and everything else that mm -hmm. I, I do love. But at the same time, those are things that are, you know, cited as being the foundations and the cornerstones of science fiction and, you know, kind of the stuff that you need to read to have any kind of credibility in, in the sci-fi community. Um, but they are in some ways showing the tatters around the edges of their age and things like that. You know, yeah. uh, in some instances, as, as society I, I, has moved actually, on you know and become what? faster and... This, he did such a good job of like, right. you know, 68, what... The, the vision. Be, be, being somebody who works in IT, right. the, the things this guy said about technology and like the, how vague he kept it, actually like, you know, mostly did not take me out of it. Right. Like, oh, well, it's, you know, he just called it a, uh, what's the mood, mood clock? Mood organ. Mood, the mood organ. organ. That's really bad. Perfect. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting you. But it's true. I, Philip K. Dick is a visionary. Um, and so, unlike the books that we've done so far, which have been books of entertainment, mm -hmm. I can't not stress enough that for me, uh, Blade Runner is the first book that we have done that is culturally and socially important it you is know, the the other books i mean you know pierce brown i love you i love your books but i mean in a hundred years i don't know who will be reading red rising you know um or who will cite that as any kind of turning point in in literature but do androids dream of electric sheep is an extremely important book uh, for the sci-fi genre, and I think uh, culturally, especially, you know, I'm a history guy, love uh, the Cold War era. 
I love what it is saying, you know, at a time in our history when we are the closest we've ever come to nuclear annihilation yeah. in the 1960s. And for a book like this that's preaching em empathy, you know, and, and the things that it needed, it has to say. Uh, I absolutely love this book. It, it has incredible shortcomings in the narrative and in action mm -hmm. sequences, and especially in the climax. Luke, you always say that the end of a book will break it for you and this should break it for me because i mean the ending is i mean try to explain it as you will but it, it's a nosedive you know yeah but you know if the plane never takes off how can it nosedive? But, but for me it did sorry, for sorry, me I'm it sorry. did the, the, you know, interrupting yeah you. for for me the the what's brought up in this book is so important that i like one of those proverbial proverbial teachers that would beat you with a book that you don't want to read, I would have to say strongest of recommends because this is an extremely important book that still has things to say to this generation, albeit it is wrapped in a package that may be showing signs of age, you know. Mm -hmm. But that being said, uh, we still have more to get to with our Blade Runner uh, to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. There has been two movies made uh, out of this universe, uh, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. And I I am so excited. Like I said, in during Tavern Talk is I, you know, I own the quote unquote, you know, final cut. I've owned it for years. I've owned the other cuts. I own the VHS cuts um, <laughs> of Blade Runner. And I've, I've loved Blade Runner. Like you've talked about in the past though, Bob, it was one of those where you got it at eight years old and thought it would be really cool and then fell asleep. I've had a long and tumultuous relationship with Blade Runner, so I cannot wait to talk about the movie I, that was made off of this book. I can't I, wait. I, I've read the novel a couple times. I've read the novel a couple times before. I finished last night reading the no, rereading re the novel. I finished and finally, and I had to throw. I had to throw it in. Mm -hmm. I had right. to throw Blade Runner after rereading the novel and finishing rereading the novel it. last night. I had to throw Blade Runner in. I got to the end of it. Truthfully, it was about nine o'clock. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it. I hadn't seen Twenty Forty Nine yet. I ran to the red box two blocks yeah, away and grabbed Blade Runner Twenty Forty Nine, and I had to watch right. it. I had to go through it. Um, we'll get the reviews as it goes in that. But th this is my jam. Yeah. This is this is something I'm really excited to get into the nuances of the movie when we do our movie review. I was really excited, and I thank you guys for sitting down and talking mm -hmm. about. You know the novel, and Luke, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, I'm. I, I, and, I, 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 and that's one I, of the fun I'm things. Grudgingly, the modern reader here. Yeah, well, right, right, right. And that's one of the fun things, and that's one of the reasons we do this. Is yeah. we have Ted, we have myself, we have Bob, we have you, Luke. Yeah. Who we want to get different opinions. If we're all sitting around the table, you know, smacking each other around, weird like different points of view. This has been fun. Um, we are going to at least be covering the original Blade Runner. Right. Are we going to get to 2049? We hope. Uh, I would love to. Let's love do to it. do 2049. Let's do yeah. it. Right. What, the, what the heck, guys? Let's do it. Well, um, we, we know that our, our, our reading schedule has been changing. We're thinking, you know what? Thank you guys for sticking around while we figure out right. how the heck do we podcast. Um you know, really realizing like how much time this takes, you know, removing stuff from our calendar uh, abruptly. S Steve J, you've been online. Oh, uh, Steve. I, I, we had my to, man. We, my man. Well, we love you guys. 
Uh, but we we had to remove uh, Wizard's first rule, which is a favorite of mine. Yeah. Uh, a fav- and what else did we remove this sum- the spring? Uh, uh, we haven't Ender's game. No, 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 no. The Martian. We, we probably Martian. will remove the Martian. We'll see how things go. Uh, but our reading calendar will be popping up on a Facebook, uh, kind of a revised reading calendar. I mean, we've got lots of stuff Soon, coming friends. up, you know. And and again, as always, thank you for coming along with us. Talk to us. Jump on Twitter, jump on Facebook. Those are kind of the the two big ones that we're mm-hmm. dealing with now. The website's out there, but the Twitter, the Facebook. <laughs> um, yeah, I know I'm showing my age by saying the, but jump on those. Talk to us if there's, you know, when we release this episode, when this episode comes out. And really, the, the, last, you couple, the last couple of weeks have been awesome. We've yeah. had so much Yeah, feedback. actually, we had a lot of feedback that Woo. we could have gotten to that we did not because we There's figured so this much. would be, we were going to cover one book in only one show. Yeah. So we figured it would be too much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, jump on when we release the episode. Just start making comments underneath the ads. We're, we read them. We look at them. We're yeah. adamant we're about sl- talking with you. We're slow sometimes, but we will get back to you. <laughs> we even wish you a happy birthday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, again, hey, if you have somebody who's got a birthday coming up in March, go ahead and hit us up. Let us know whose birthday that is. We'll, we will we will do a shout out to them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because that'll be so meaningful. <laughs> hey, at any rate, uh, like Buster Friendly, it's assumed friendship around here. No way, you are our friend. <laughs> hey, at any rate. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening to me hate on probably one of your favorite books. Hey, and thank you, Ted. Welcome to the fourth yeah. hour for your, for your stint with us. Oh, it felt good to just look at some dick with you guys. <laughs> and, 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 and tear into us. <laughs> no! Tear. <laughs> There was no tearing. There was no, no, tearing. no, it was good. Gently gliding into us. Again, <laughs> oh, man, what better okay. way to start than by honoring your words? This is true. <laughs> All right, hey, let's let's settle up our tab. We're going to hover taxi outside and get out of here. And we'll be joining you guys soon for... I'm going to go buy a raccoon. Hey, I'm going to go buy a raccoon. Hey, you guys go ahead. I've been uh, I've been looking at the little Andy over there for a little bit. I'll be, I'll be back. I'll catch up with you guys. The one just time. with a bra and a fur coat? That's my girl. Oh, All right, right. well, I hope you guys take short of this. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeons & Dweebs. There's even more adventuring to be had on our website, DungeonsAndDweebs.com. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at DungeonsAndDweebsPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Dungeons & Dweebs on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Find all those links at DungeonsAndDweebs.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. The music for Dungeons & Dweebs is Fatal Fight by Royalty Free Kings and can be found at their website, RoyaltyFreeKings.com. Dungeons & Dweebs is a Tim Gilbert media production. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of the show can be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the expressed written permission of Tim Gilbert Media. <laughs>